Tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call if you wish to do so. And Leanne is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, a Tipperary man is facing jail if he doesn't demolish the log cabin on his property. Sinn Féin's Mark Ward will join us to talk about new mental health legislation. There's concerns over plans for a mast in lovely Clock Jordan. Is Ireland becoming a racist nation and is hatred on the rise? We'll be hearing from a community activist on that. UHL's new Rainbow Badge initiative continues to receive backlash. Karen Prenegas will uh, join us for our interior design slot. Our agony aunt, Phil, is with us later on. And Ali will discuss the sleeping psychic in this week's Conspiracy Files. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in some of your newspapers today. The Irish Independent and their main story, Catherine Martin's plans to abolish the TV licence are under threat as support for the under-fire minister dwindles across the government. The end was dominated as well by a photograph of uh, um, uh, Patrick Paddy O'Mahony, uh, 83-year-old, who was uh, uh, killed after a row with a man he knew and the Gardaí are investigating that uh, fatal shooting. A man who was in his 60s and is known to uh, Mr O'Mahony is currently being held on suspicion of murder. The Irish Times and their main story is uh, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuliba has uh, urged uh, compatriots abroad to think about going home to help the war effort as Kiev uh, seeks to draft fresh troops into its army and strengthen an economy ravaged by two years of all-out war with Russia. Also on the Times today, the uh, competition watchdog and uh, teams of Gardaí carried out dawn raids on premises of businesses active in the home alarm industry yesterday as part of an ongoing criminal investigation into potential breaches of competition law. The Irish Examiner and it's dominated by a photograph of uh, farmers uh, in convoy, a convoy of tractors from Cork Airport to Cork City Hall early yesterday uh, as part of their campaign against the overregulation of uh, farming, but the sub-editor having great fun with his uh, headline on that, protesting on Massey. Clever boots. Uh, also, we're hearing that more than 10% of parents were forced to, to turn to a food bank to feed their children last year in what has been described as a wake-up call to government that the cost of living crisis has not gone away. And again, that uh, story about uh, uh, Paddy O'Mahony uh, the former gun dealer and firearms expert who was shot at his home on Sunday. And uh, finally, uh, the Irish Daily Mail. And uh, again, it's about Catherine Martin. 
and seemingly she was not kept in the dark by RTE on exit packages. TDs have said ahead of the media minister's three-hour grilling by the Oireachtas Media Committee this evening from about 7 o'clock, I think that is. So that's a look at uh, the headlines in the newspapers today. If you want to make comment on any of that, 083 311 Now, a temporary man is facing prison next month uh, if he doesn't take down a log cabin which he erected on his own land near Nguyen. The case of Sean Meehan uh, was raised in the Doyle, but uh, with no movement from Tipperary County Council, Sean appeared in court in December and was informed that if it is not taken down before his next appearance in April, he will spend his 66th birthday in, pres- in prison. Our reporter Alison Highland went to visit Sean to find out more about his story. Hello puppies. Hello puppies. Yes, and lady. How are you, Sean? Thanks for having us. No problem whatsoever. At least you picked a good day to come out. I the know, sun, it's the, not the, bad, the, is the sun is shining. And you got the grass cut? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm landscape guy. <laughs> What's beautiful? Yeah, no, and a deck and everything. Wow. Yeah, no, it's there was me to sit out. Sean, tell me when this all started for you. Hopefully you'll get there. Um, this all started about three years ago. Um, maybe a bit more. I sold my house just across, as you can see, from here and um, bought this site here after the divorce, put a mobile home on it, had the mobile home on it for about a year or so, but it got so cold and stuff that I had no choice. Mm. I, what I'd done then was roped in some friends of mine and we logged it out to make it more comfortable and warmer. We put in new windows, new central heating, and it's grand. But then I applied for planning on it. Can I ask, first of all, what was your understanding in terms of what you needed for planning? Because, I, you know, that it's kind of a grey area. I always assume that if something is portable or movable, you don't necessarily need planning. Would that have been your understanding? That would too? have been my understanding yeah. of it also. I thought it being a mobile home, that it could be physically moved off the site or whatever like that. I didn't know the full details of it. But as far as I was concerned, it was okay. But then I, apl- I converted it, as I say, into the log cabin to make it more comfortable for myself. Then I applied for planning on that for five years just for retention to hold it for me for five years. I was refused on that. Then I applied for full planning on it. I was refused on that. What reasons did they give for the refusal? They said I didn't show a social and economic need to live in the area. They said it would devalue the properties in the area and they said aesthetically it didn't look right. Now, I have on our approach to it, I mean, you've landscape gardens here, you've fencing up, you've a deck outside. It's nicer than my house at home, I have to be honest. I think, it's, I think myself, it looks good. I go a lot of the back roads here and the stuff you see, massive houses built. Yeah. They don't look fitting in with the countryside as far as I'm yeah. concerned. They look like monstrosities, just a light. Now, no, no badness to the people that build them, great for them. But I think in a country area, this is more in keeping with the country area. Mm. But Tipperary County Council, in their wisdom, say that uh, they don't allow planning for log cabins. That's where I'm confused a little bit because essentially what you have here is a cladded mobile home, isn't Basically, it? Basically, that's what yeah. I have. That's what I have. So they're saying that there's no criteria for planning for the likes of this modular home come mobile home log cabin. Mm. So they refuse me on it. 
So they are saying that I have till the 14th of March to take this down. If I don't take this down, they are going to send me to... The judge ruling was on the 14th of December, previous court appearance I was at, that I would go to jail for four months. And if I don't take it down, they will take it down and I pay them for taking my home down. So regardless, as far as they're concerned, the house is coming down and whether or not you're... You're volunteering to that, you'll end up in prison if not. They're saying that it has to come down. I have tried for the planning, I've tried every way to work with these people like that, but they're saying no. So they say if I don't take it down by the 14th of March, which is not too far away, if I take it down, Alison, I don't have anywhere else to go. Mm. As you see, unless I sleep in the van out there, yeah. I don't have anywhere else to go. You're not a blow-in here either, are you? I'm born and raised here. All my, my parents and grandparents are up in Rose Green and New End Cemetery. So I'm born and reared there. I come from this area, Woodenstone, Chamberstone. What are you going to do? I'll be under the West Gate and Clonmel with the other boys with the sleeping bags. I don't see any other alternative out of it. Like, this is what they're doing. The law is on their side. There's no empathy coming into this. They don't know me. So therefore, it's just me. I'm just a name on a piece of paper, and this is what they're doing. But you have to meet the person as you're doing now and then see the situation you can see for yourself. Yeah. Have you tried engaging with the council, you know, outside of emails and phone calls? I have been in with the council, yeah. And any go at all? No, no, yeah. no, no. And are they still standing by those reasons for the initial refusal that it's not aesthetically pleasing, it's taking away from the value that of... That is what their reckoning is. Yeah. Now, they say that I done back when they got this, when they hit me with this, I got my daughter to do up a petition. So if they were saying that it was devaluing the properties in the area. So I took it from Whitelands Cross where you would have come in. Mm. So I walked up along with my petition, which my daughter made up for me. So I got every resident from Whitelands Cross to Glenagat Hill. Every resident signed it to say that they had no objections whatsoever. If I was left alone, they have no objection to me living here and I do not devalue their properties. No. And would you be concerned that maybe some of them have said that to your face and maybe gone to the council? Would I, that have been possible? I told them if they had any issues when I went with the form. I said, if you want to sign it, 100%. And if you also, if you don't want to sign it, that's OK. I have no malice towards you. That is your decision completely. Mm. And they said, fair enough, Sean. We have no objections whatsoever. I said, don't feel because you know me that I want to put you under duress to sign this. Yeah. They said, no, what is happening to you, Sean, is unfair. You've lived all your life in this area. Now, circumstances with divorce, had to sell my own house. That's happened to a lot of people yeah. now. But no, they don't look at the bigger picture. Is it frustrating then when you see the modular housing that's been erected in Thurlis to house and accommodate Ukrainian refugees, which is essentially what you have here? Exactly, I do. I, I think I, I'm from... The, like it's, To me, it's discrimination against a settled person. I'm living here, I'm not doing anything to anybody here like that, I do my own thing. But in their wisdom, they see that this is what they're pushing on to make me homeless. Mm. Like the, the homeless situation in Ireland at the minute is off the radar. Yet they want to add me to this. Yeah. I never asked them for anything. I bought the site, I put on all the services, I don't have a thing myself. I never asked them for anything. I, all I asked for was just to live out the rest of my life. Yeah. Peace and quiet, but no. It doesn't make sense then because if you do end up homeless, 
or you would, God forbid, if you end up in prison. I mean, you're at the expense of the state then, exactly. whereas here you're not. Exactly. That was my point. And if they take it down, they say, I have to pay for taking it down. I've already paid for putting it up. Yeah. I bought the site. I have everything in place. But my panic would be that if they do send me to prison on the 4th of April, they say that they can take it down once the, the order is against it. What I am nervous about is when I'm in Limerick prison, that somebody will come here and take it down. I have two dogs, as you see, my cat. Yeah. I'll have to try and get somebody to look after them. And what about my personal stuff? Yeah. I don't have much, but what I have is my own. Yeah. So would that give them the right to come and break in the door and knock this down and take it away in a truck? So when I come back, I go into the van. I have nowhere to go. They want the site back as the site was when I bought the site. Will you still own the site then? I own the site, but sure, it's pointless me owning the site. Yeah. What good, what good? I can't do anything with it. I can't live here. That was the, why the intention I bought it. I didn't want to be burdened on anyone going on looking for anything. I, I made my own way. Yeah. I went through the divorce. Okay, I said, right, okay, another chapter of my life. I'll start again. Took a while to get used to it like that, but I'm used to it now. Mm. But no, no. While you were dealing with all of this then, um, you also got some bad news regarding your health. Tell me about that. I did. I, I had symptoms issues, so I went to my local GP. He referred me for an MRI scan. I went for the MRI scan and it showed up that I had issues with my prostate. I had a growth and stuff on my prostate, needing surgery. So put me on medication, probably like um, to, take, to reduce the growth before they would do surgery and stuff like that. So I then proceeded to Whitfield and I had surgery there. So lucky enough they removed the growth and I had a biopsy done. The biopsy come back benign which was wonderful news yeah. but I still have treatment every couple of months I go have to go just to make sure I'm okay. But whatever thing that it all coincided at the same time. Yeah. And not good. Not yeah. good. But look I'm over it now and I'm on the right side of it and hopefully I'm okay. It's just another thing to deal with. It, on it just on top of what I was yeah. already dealing with. Yeah. You know, I had the house sale, the divorce, ill, now the council. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I just want to be left alone. Whatever time I've left, I just want to live my life out in peace and quiet. I've had enough. I know you've made political representations as well to a couple of politicians. How has that gone? Has it, has it given any clarification? It, it, absolutely, yes. Initially, when it all started, I contacted Councillor Niall Denny. Now, in fairness to Niall, he took it on board from day one. He took it up at a couple of the meetings in, in Clonmel. He highlighted the case for me, helpful all the way down along the line. Then I also, who got involved in my case was Councillor Matty McGrath, and his daughter, uh, Maureen. Yeah. So they have been very instigational all the way along. Maddie brought it up on the dole and all. Mm. I just were kept private about it. Not a lot of people knew about it. But Niall said, Sean, you're going to have to do something here because what's going to happen is they're going to make you homeless. The majority of people mm. won't even know this. Mm. So he said, you're going to have to do some PR. So he initially kicked it all off then, and now we are... You're here. <laughs> uh, has it worked at all so far? I mean, having it raised in the doll, has, has that done anything? I think it's, it's the way it is, they're trying to bring in, like, Matty was pushing for, like, a monitorium on these yeah. to say that uh, they have to have some legalisation towards them the way things are. If they can build them all over the country, they, I do one here. Now, I agree with him saying you can't just knock a load of pallets together and make up and whatever like that. It's unsightly or whatever like that. 
But in my opinion, and you've been here now, yeah. this is very well done. Yeah. And it looks aesthetically, they yeah. say, it's not good. But I think myself, it's good. What confuses me, though, Sean, is that you were saying, I mean, if you wanted, you could hook up to the side there and drive it off if you wanted. Yeah. It's so, been, I mean, it's, it, it is a movable structure. It is a movable structure. My idea was from day one that it being a mobile home that it was a movable structure. Yeah. So, therefore, it was fine. That, that was my reckoning on the situation. But then, as I say, when it kicked in, when the winter came, mm. it was a serious shock to my system living here. So I, I had bronchitis. I spoke to my GP, and he said, Sean, you'll have to do something. So we cladded it out and insulated yeah. it as a separate unit. So it can still be open the front yeah. of it, and you can still put a truck on it and take it back out. I just out would have thought then going into court last December, it would be open shut saying, there's a hitch there in the side of it. I can move it whenever I want. OK, off you go. No, no. It seems to be adamant on these modular homes like that, a precedent that if you put up the mobile home or mobile home or whatever like that, it, they are, I broke the law basically what it is. It's an unauthorised development. And that's what they are pushing me on, that it's an unauthorised development. So I tried to solve that problem, mm. to take it out of that remit, to put it that I applied for planning on it. Yeah. They still say no. They say Tipperary County Council do not give planning for modular homes or log cabins or whatever. But there's there's one in care. It was sold a couple of weeks ago like that up on the Mitchellstown Road. It's a log cabin. Yeah. And it was sold. So how did they get planning and obviously sell it then? Yeah. So with the housing thing and all, I think they should be trying to help people as opposed to putting people out, adding to the homeless figures. So you're counting down now the next, what is is it five weeks? Yeah, I have. It has to be completely taken down by the 14th of March. The site, as you see, has to be put back the way the site was. My dog runs, my two sheds, the post and rail, my gates. It all has to be put back. Grassy, the topsoil, site closed down. And it has to stay like that. And if I don't do that, I'm on my way to Limerick. He actually told me that to bring a bag if I haven't conformed to his ruling, I'm going to Limerick. And this is what he told me. How does that feel? It feels crazy. I feel like, what do I do? Like I'm 65 years old, I've never been in trouble and stuff like that. I don't want to end up in Limerick jail. Yeah. Like, that's just the way it is. But look, they say the law is the law, but... What would you be saying to people listening um, who I'm sure will say that this is very unfair on you, but also maybe to council officials who might be listening this morning. What's your appeal to them? My appeal would be like they got to meet somebody halfway on this. Like I, I've tried to, to converse with them and do something with this, but the situation that it is in now, they have to have some leeway for people like me and other people that find themselves in the situation rent-wise, like a thousand euro a month or whatever like that. The housing crisis is desperate more than it ever was. And they put me now into this situation. Yeah. So, I don't know, I just add it to the housing list or the homeless list. I'll be another statistic and that's basically how they're pushing it. But I think they're setting a precedent here. That if they give me the go-ahead with this, that then I will have set the precedent that it would make it for somebody else to do the same. Yeah. And I don't think they're too keen on that idea. They just prefer to have me homeless. I'm just a name, faces, name. That's all I am to them. But you meet the person. I'm just a name, a faceless name to them. That's Sean Behan there speaking to Ali about his uh, predicament. 
huge response to this, even while the interview was going on, huge numbers of people onto us, generally saying, what a disgrace uh, this is. Many people making the comparison with the provision of modular homes for people coming into the country and those homes being provided without uh, planning permission because they're emergency situations and people wondering about that and saying how fair is uh, that um, somebody though one person saying that the planning laws have to be obeyed Fran they're there for a reason and people try to pull strokes to break the rules it doesn't sound to me like Sean is trying to pull any stroke uh, whatsoever uh, there he's trying to uh, live his life and with his trials and tribulations of illness and you know, uh, marriage breakup and all sorts of stuff. He seems to be dealing with it as best he can, you know. Anyway, 083 311 Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie there's a new Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Sinn Féin spokesperson on mental health, Mark Ward, has said that children deserve better mental health services and should not have to wait to access them. Deputy Ward was speaking ahead of his legislation to regulate CAMS under the Mental Health Act, which will be debated in the Doyle uh, today, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me on. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. I guess this is following on really from the recommendations made by the Mental Health Commission, Mark. Absolutely. There was a number of reviews, as, as you're aware, in the comms. It started with the Maskey review, and then we had two two really damning reports by the Mental Health Commission um, in the comms. And in that, the Mental Health Commission made 49 recommendations of how to improve comms. And these recommendations would have covered areas such as governance, risk management, and poor staffing levels, access. Now, access includes long waitness, but also includes access for children that may have uh, comorbidity, uh, dual diagnosis like neurodiverse, intellectual disability, ADHD. But there's also the, the, the par, uh, there's also problems about integration of, of CAMS with other uh, services like the Community Disability Networks teams of adult mental health services. And there was also concerns about uh, the lack of involvement in, in families in decisions that are made about their children as well. But the very first recommendation, Brian, sorry if I across yeah, you, no is the very first recommendation is to regulate CAMS and give the Mental Health Commission yes. the statutory powers. And would you just share with listeners, because this completely surprised me, Mark, the lack of regulation that's there at the moment. Absolutely. So there's the lack of regulations, as I said, in relation to who over independent regulation. So the Mental Health Commission are an independent body that will come in and their their goal is to make sure that mental health services are fit for purpose and fit for everybody. They, they, have, they can go in and produce reports but they do not have the statutory powers of enforcement to go in and make sure that the 49 recommendations, what they recommended, are implemented. And that will make it a lot better. Um, how would you put it? A lot better. Um, people would, would have a lot better service within CAMS if these 49 recommendations are implemented. Is this the first attempt at legislation since that report was published? Absolutely. Uh, the, the Mental Health Act itself was last, uh, was last uh, updated in 2001. So we haven't had an update from the Mental Health Act itself since 2001. We're in 2024. We did do pre-legislative scrutiny two years ago, 
There was meant to be a, a report produced, um, but we, have, we haven't seen it. Uh, it's meant to be on the list for priority publication at the moment, but we haven't seen this report published. So this is my way of putting this uh, topic back on the, on the agenda, and hopefully the government support this tonight. And just to remind people out there, let's talk, for instance, about the waiting time that children have to put up with before they, 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 they get the first-time appointment, for example, Mark. So we've seen huge increases in first-time appointments. Now, this is a first-time appointment. This is just this is not any therapy. This is when a child gets a referral from a GP or, or another or into CAMS and they're left waiting. So, for example, in your own area, in you have two CHO areas that cover Tipperary, yeah. Tipperary South and Tipperary North. So in Tipperary South, at the moment, there's 254 children waiting for a first-time appointment. There was only 150, not only, I shouldn't say, there was 153 in 2020 when Mary Butler took charge. So that's increased by over 100. In CHO Area 3, we, we currently have 297 children. In, uh, in Tipperary North, and when the, when the government came out, there was 196. So in both instances, and just a coincidence, they've increased by 101 children who are waiting for a first-time appointment in, in Tipperary uh, under this government. And the most damning thing of all, there's 100 of these children who are waiting for over a year for a first-time appointment. And, you know, we've heard some tragic stories on this programme, Mark, over the years, you know, of young people taking their own lives, for for example. And, I mean, the Commission already saying it's inefficient, it's unsafe, there's a lack of governance, inadequate funding, failure to reduce preventable harm to young people attending the service. It goes on and on, doesn't it? The list goes on. And, unfortunately, it's vulnerable children who are mostly impacted by this and their families. And this has a ripple effect. If a child is not getting the care that they need at the, at the earliest stage, then it can impact them, their, their, their parents, their siblings, their, their classmates, their friends, and society as a whole. What's happening is, is that children are not getting the earliest intervention. So, for example, we have 16,000 children who are waiting for a first-time appointment for primary care psychology. So this is before CAMS. CAMS is only meant to be for, for at least 4% of the population of young people who need mental health services. But there's a cohort of people that need primary care interventions. And if they're not getting that primary care, they're more likely then to need the more acute services of CAMS because their mental health care is going on three years. Have you any indication about the kind of support you'll get for this in the Doyle today? Well, it looks like we'll get cross-party support from the opposition. And that's, that's, that's what the feedback I'm at to get. The government have three choices tonight. Because it's legislation, they, they can't amend it. It's not like a motion where they can amend it to, to, to suit their own needs. Because this is this is legislation and it's that second stage, they have three choices. One, they vote for it. Two, they vote against it. Or three, they put a time-bound uh, condition on it, which means that it'll be read a second time in six to nine months, which will effectively kill it because it won't be dealt with in the lifetime of this government if this happens. So I'm calling on all uh, I'm calling on all government TDs to support this motion or to support this amendment uh, legislation tonight. Yeah, it's, and, and to me, this is one of, I mean, until immigration took over uh, as top of the, the, the pile here in terms of people's concerns, mental health here on the programme, if that's any, I'm not sure how scientific this is, Mark, but I mean, it was huge with people. Their concerns was, you know, really incredible about this. 
It is. And then when you have, like, so I, I was speaking to my colleague in Tipperary, Martin Brown, a yeah. uh, no, number of times. So he, he was talking about the closure of St. Michael's and yeah. um, psychiatric ward was was a big issue for, for the people of, of Tipperary. And then the lack of them follow-up service then after that. So what's often happens is, and it's not just uh, young people, but people, adults as well, who are experiencing it, they happen to go to A&E because it's the only hour service that's available to them. And that what often happens is because they haven't got a physical injury and it's not, people can't actually see or doctors can't see it, they're often left sitting there um, and left waiting. And often or not, they will leave the hospital. And sometimes these people just don't have the opportunity to ever come back. And so many, with the closure of St. Michael, so many people then having to go to Kilkenny. And I have experience of that myself down there in St. Luke's. I mean, chaotic at times, absolutely chaotic for people, you know. Uh, it is. And, and, and when you're in mental health arrest, you should be able to ha- have access to 24-7 emergency mental health care in your location. And um, that's what you should have, because if you have to put any more stress on somebody that is, is suffering a mental health episode and having to travel really, really far distances to get the help that they need, and they may not even get the help when they get there, it's, it's really, really difficult for them to do, and their families to do that as well. And just finally, Mark, why is there not an appetite to take this on board and do something about this? Because, you know, as I say, it's hugely important. It's hugely important. It's something that myself and Sinn Féin take really, really seriously is, is young people and children's mental health. We, we're doing everything possible that we can in opposition to, to keep this on the agenda, to bring in legislation that's going to improve the access to treatment that our young people are, are experiencing. And as I said again, there has to be an appetite by, by government. Government have a chance there tonight to do the right thing. And I'm hoping that they will do the right thing and, and do the right thing around our young people, especially our vulnerable young people. All right, we'll be watching with uh, interest. Mark, thanks for your time today. Thank you and good morning to you. Thanks, Fran. Bye-bye now. That's uh, Deputy Mark Ward, who is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on mental health. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County, slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Now, there's concern in Clock Jordan over plans by AIR to erect a 15-metre mast in the village. AIR has had planning permission approved for the mast, which is located three metres away from St. Michael's National School and directly adjacent to many homes. Now, on board, Planola has rejected this poll once, but AIR submitted another application through Tipperary County Council just before Christmas of 2023, and it has been approved. Now, the school's board of management is appealing the decision. And first of all, to talk to me about this, uh, I'm joined by Viv Dooley, who is principal of St. Michael's National School in Clock Jordan. Viv, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. And uh, thanks very much indeed for making time for us today. Will you lay out the story for Army as as you see it, Viv, and the implications for the school? Well, Fran, this all started in 2020, where AIR applied for what they called it then was a monopole, 15 metre high. Mm-hmm. And the application went in before Christmas, which meant uh, we had to go through the Christmas holidays to put in an appeal, which we did. Bonnie Hayes was chairman of the board at the time with us. Yes. And Antoinette Moroni put in an appeal from staff. 
and James Glass put in an appeal from the locals at the time. So we appealed to the county council and we pointed out like that uh, this monopole was three metres away from our boundary, seven metres away from the gable end of our building. And nobody really knew what was going up on it. So anyway, the council in the wisdom passed it and we appealed then to board Planola and uh, they knocked it on visual grounds. Hmm. But... Uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting, though. My understanding is they knocked it on, as you say, visual grounds, but they didn't knock it because of its proximity to the school, Viv. Well, it says here, uh, reasons in consideration, having regard to the guidelines relating to telecommunication antennae, and so on and so on. The location of the proposed development in close proximity to an area that is predominantly residential in character is considered that the proposed development would be visually obtrusive and would seriously injure the amenities of the area and of the property in the vicinity. The proposed development would therefore be contrary to the proper planning and sustainable development of the area. So, like the school is, in a, is within a built-up yes. built area. And, and it, what, what they're looking for now, is that the very same mast in terms of size um, that was turned down previously? Is it, is it the yeah, very same? See, they've, they've changed it now. It's now called a shrouded pole. Right. So they're going to uh, put up their mast. It's 15 metres high, plus a metre high for light if, if they have to put a light on top of it. So it'll be 16 metres in height, and they're going to shroud it. And, and just words, explain that to me, Viv. Going, well, that's a good question. They're going to screen it off so that you can't see the antenna on it. Right. And they're saying, it, they're saying that, that that would be, you know, less visually impactful. But sure, if you think about it, Fran, if you put on a coat, you're actually taking up more space than if you don't have the coat. So the shroud is going to be outside whatever is up there, which means it's going to take up more space. And how does the planning permission work in terms of, OK, if they get planning permission for the, the mast, does that cover unlimited antennae or is there are there specifications in there for that? They have conditional planning that's from the council at the minute. Right. So uh, I think it says, uh, I, I think it said in it that... Uh, if they wanted to add to what they were putting up. But, like, nobody know, we don't know what's going up on it. Right. You know, they, they plan for the pole, uh, and it says then, plus whatever, you know. Um, well, it's, it's to enhance 4G in the area. At least that's what I'm reading. Is that is that correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and your main, okay, so unsightly to begin with, have you other... Uh, I, well, sure, you, I have, I have, Fran, because... Um, like the temporary development plan stated that where possible these things shouldn't be put up near schools or built-up areas. Now, and is that from a health point of view, Bill? Well, I have the expertise to, to, to say yes or no to that, but I mean, there has to be some implications and some unknowns that we don't know about. Hmm. You know? Like, why would the temporary plan go to the bother of doing that? You know? Um, the telecommunication antenna and support structures plan, it says... Uh, that there has to be a balance between providing all these things. But one of the lines in it is, is um, in other words, to avoid locations. Such locations might include, for example, land whose high immunity value is already recognised. In other words, you, you can't put it on the test them over. Mm. In the mm. development plan are sites besides schools, which might give rise to local concern. Now, they are claiming this, this is the best site in the area. But... Uh, 
I had my phone on this morning coming into school and I, I reached 100 metres above sea level, about a mile from the village on the Burst Cane Road. I came to the school and I was down to 90 metres. I drove up the main street, up as far as the church, and I was back up to 100 metres. So the logic behind putting it at 90 metres, which is one of the lowest points in the village, there's no logic to it, considering what it's, what it's supposed to be doing. And have they already equipment on this particular site? That, yeah, yeah, you see, they have. There are exchanges there. Okay. See, it's the old telecom exchange. Yes, yes. Which, and everything in the old telecom exchange came in by wire. Now it's all coming through the air. Right. Stay stay with me for a moment, Viv, because Nikki Kennedy of the Parents Association is uh, with us as well, president, in fact, of the association. Nikki, good morning to you. Let me see if we have Nikki there. I'll just patch her in. Nikki, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? I, I'm very well indeed. What about, what about your, your concerns on this, Nikki? Well, look, I suppose as a parent, it's the last thing you really want beside a school. There is no... It ha- they haven't been around long enough for us to know whether they're safe. Like WHO have recognised them as a producer of carcinogenics. So it's not really something that you you want right beside your school. Even talking to residents of Magdalen Avenue, they were completely unaware of it. It just I just think it's crazy to have it in the middle of the village. You'd imagine that there's somewhere outside of the village that would be more suitable to have this 15 metre pole. And the fact that it was turned down in the past, and you, you'd wonder then why why it's acceptable now, Nikki. I've no idea. Like it was only turned down last year, so within six months they had they had it back in again. Right. And especially when it was when on board Finola, they ruled against it on the reasons that they've said about the residential area. Nothing has changed there. I don't see how they're hoping to have it allowed this time around. What can you do about it at this point? Well, look, at the minute we have, the Parents Association have got a petition, both online and physical. At the minute, we've over 600 signatures. We are going to try put in an appeal with on board Planola with the support of the school and residents. Hmm. Because the last time I was talking about this, I was speaking to Bonnie Hayes, in fact, uh, about it, and there was great jubilation because it was was turned down at the time. So, mm. you, you, did you expect this to happen? By the way, no, no. The first time I heard of it was, I think, maybe about a week after. Yeah, it kind of it, it flew under the radar because of when it was submitted to the council. Yeah, is, is anybody listening to you, Nikki? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. You 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 hope so on this. Okay, so your next step is what then exactly? Um, we are still going to petition. Um, we're going to send our petition and our reasoning why we are worried about it to air. Um, I know the Board of Management is submitting an appeal and we just hope that on board Panada will listen to it again. Well, hopefully so, and we'll be following the story anyway, Nikki. And thanks very much indeed for your time today. That's Nikki Kennedy of uh, the Parents Association in uh, Clock Jordan. We heard from Viv Dooley as well, principal 
at St. Michael's National School in uh, Clock Jordan. 1800 938 Now with all of the negativity surrounding immigration and asylum seeking in Ireland, uh, many can't help but notice that the attitude of Irish people certainly is changing. Well, Eddie Reid is the community activist in uh, Caricature, a very frequent uh, contributor to the show over the years as well. But he shared some of his observations on social media last night and I was really taken at the response that he got uh, to it. He joins me now. Eddie, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed and good to talk to you today. Would and you, you, and you. Would you just sum up what you put up uh, last night uh, on Facebook, um, Eddie? Yeah, sure. I, I just basically put up that I was um, uh, kind of shocked and depressed about the amount of haters in the country. That's kind of all. It was nothing... Um, it was nothing drastic. I wasn't calling anyone names, you know. I wasn't yeah, yeah. trying to, to, to out anybody or anything. I just, I, I've noticed of late the amount of, of vitriol and hatred online, and I, I stay away, being honest, I stay away from social media now, except for work. Um, I don't get that kind of stuff on the work pages. Um, yeah. You you, but, um, you said like what it. you're what you're observing is depressing, and then you made the point: a tiny revolving speck of dust in a universe of unimaginable size, and all seems to bother people is the colour of somebody else's skin, where they are born, on the speck of dust, or what holy men in the sky they pray to. Very profound stuff, yeah. Eddie. Um, yeah, it, it just it always strikes me from when this kind of stuff raises its head that why people get so concerned about the colour of someone's skin or what God they believe in or what God they prayed. When you think of the enormity of, of, of where we live, um, why it bothers somebody, mm. the, the, the person's race, colour or creed, just, it, it dumbfounds me. Um, I didn't really have anybody in mind. I didn't have any group in mm. mind. Um the response, the response was incredible, though, wasn't it? Last I looked, you uh, had a hundred comments on it. And I'm just looking at it there now. Yeah, there's hundred and eight comments on it. Look, a lot of them are. Look, people have. I know people say about freedom of expression and that in the country, and of course, people have freedom of expression. Two or three of the comments are, are ridiculous. Yeah, they, were, know, fer- they, were, fairly out, they were fairly out there, all right, weren't they? Yeah. Um, people ask me what I do for my own. Like, I, yeah. I care more about uh, yeah. non-nationals than I care about Irish. Like, people. Talking absolute rubbish, you know nothing about me or what I do. Um, hey, but I, 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 I know you long enough to know, Eddie, that you, you you do take it on board that there are people with genuine concerns. But but your concern is when that becomes racist. Is there that are people with genuine becomes... concerns? I mean, nobody, like, nobody, and I mean absolutely nobody, no political party, no member of any group. Uh, is calling for open borders in the country. I mean, that's just lies. It's just bull, you know. Um, but, you see, you've got the few lads who, who put their points across and who have, who can make legitimate arguments and have legitimate discussions. That's mm. fine. Yes. But, you see, if you're being roped in, and it's it's an old saying, but it's a true saying, if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. If you're aligning yourself with the likes of he's Andy Heesman and Philip O'Dwyer and Michael O'Keefe from Waterford and people like that. If you're aligning yourself the, on any... These would be right-wing activists you're referring to there. The yeah. Irish National Party yeah. and mm. Irish Freedom Party and all that crowd. If your views align with those, then, then you have an issue. Mm. 
you know, they picked the easy target, which is but a black see, or the brown man coming into the country. But the, the, the majority of people that are out there on protest lines and stuff are, are ordinary people with with concerns. But are you saying that the they're being manipulated, be, Eddie, in some way? They're is that absolutely it? being manipulated. I mean, you saw your man in, in, in Ross Grey that, I, I don't know what it meant, something or other, claimed to be supporting Ross Grey and claimed to be from Ross Grey and claimed to be not alt-right or far-right or whatever they call themselves. And now he's doing a tour of the country with Andy Heesman in his... In his, mm. his Baby blue jumper calling for some one way or the other on the referendum. And in fairness to the people of Ross Grey, though, I mean, they, they, they gave those people short shrift, really, you know. They didn't want them uh, as part of They didn't of want them, protest. but why, why stand around being like a pack of hounds that have women and children going into a house? Why not be being like a pack of hounds that sidelines their house? Right, but you, well... They're to blame. Like we, the 150-odd thousand houses that are in the country vacant. That's not because of a brown person fleeing war. Yeah. That's because of successive Irish governments failed housing policies. That's why it's there. That's it because is, of vulture but, funds. But I, I, know, I know that, I mean, you, you know, you're steeped in community, Eddie, and I know that you would appreciate what's happening in Ross Grey because you would have seen similarities, I guess, with, with caricature. I mean, they're overrun with all sorts of uh, things over years and, and services are, are miserable, you know, and... Ross Grey is exactly the same as Carrick. Yeah. Um, I've got a good community, a friend up there, a good community activist, Mike Edwards. Yeah. Is that it with years and years runs community or the community oven Ross Grey. I, I know exactly what Ross Grey is going through. It's going through exactly what Carrick is mm. going through. Mm. But to see comments like the the crime levels have gone through the roof. No, they haven't. And if you walk the streets in Carrick, still to this day, five or six years after the first meeting and the first lot of guards came in and then were taken back by, by the superintendent, drug dealing is the same. Anti-social behaviour is the same. But there's nobody at the Bridgewater House or, or no foreigners, no non-nationals doing it. Hmm. Oh, there is a difference, Eddie. We have to point this out in terms of the numbers in Carrick by comparison to the numbers in Ross Grey, which people are estimating to be around 500 people in there uh, in, in a community. So there's a difference in, in that, I suppose. And is there a difference in the crime rates in Ross Grey since those people have come in? Well, you see, I suppose there's no data on any of this, you see, unlike other countries, uh, you know. I... <laughs> but if there's no data, then why has it been yeah. fired all over Facebook and fired all over social media and say, yeah, crime rates have gone through the roof? Yeah, but... Like, I mean, even take a simple throwaway comment that your reporter said this morning to that gentleman that was on earlier yeah. building a log cabin. Yes. The question should have been put to him. How does he feel about the government? Why is he not petitioning the government? Why is he not petitioning the council? Mm. No, the question was put to him. How do you feel about the the cabins going into Thorless? Well, in fairness, that's, I don't... That's I, not, the, that's not yeah, the, the problem. I, I don't think she put it quite quite like that, but she was making the comparison the with... Well, I think yeah, she was making... And how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, I think she was making comparisons, though, with a situation where modular homes can appear in places without planning permission, and here is a... But why make that uh, comparison? Well, I mean, why not have the argument with him? Why not get him to have the argument with the government and with the council? Right, but is that is that not obvious anyway that the argument is with the council? Yeah, and why the is the argument? But you see, the problem is, Brian, why is the argument there in the first place? Right. The argument is there in the first place because of the government. Yeah. Not because of the people fleeing war. Not because of the people from Ukraine, Yemen, wherever they're coming from, fleeing war and, and, and attrition. It's because of the government simple as, and if you look at 
as I, 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 I'm not a Sinn Féin member. I don't have any ties with Sinn Féin. I've got friends in the party, okay, but but if you look at their recent polls, and I know you've alluded to it on the par- on, on the program before, mm. they're slumping polls, and it is down to immigration. Mm. Do you think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and the Greens are are going to make it going to do something different? Stop that slide. Absolutely not. They're more than like more than happy to watch Sinn Féin um, slump. But wasn't it interesting? I mean, the polls were up yesterday, where where the Business Post was concerned. Sorry, on Sunday, where the Business Post was uh, concerned, and you know, the cynic in me would say that that's because Sinn Fein has has toughened its stance on on immigration. I suppose, Eddie, would you would you not think? Sinn Fein. Look, one of the reasons I I I, I don't have much time for a lot of Sinn Fein policy is, been honest with offence. I'm looking at it outside the office area when I half expect to see Sinn Fein members on it most of the time. Um, you know, they have to come off one side or the other. Uh, if they're Republican socialists, they're Republican socialists. If they're Republican socialists, then any form of of, of, of hatred towards your fellow man is, is not acceptable. Mm. And and you see it as hate, do you, Eddie? Do you see it as developing it? Not by, not by the likes of the people that commented on my post last night, not by those people, no. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. They, you know, 99% of those people, I know them, I've heard with them, I live with them all my life, I know there's no hatred in them. Yeah. You know, but... And, and what are you, are, what, are you... Are you afraid that it could sort of evolve into hatred? Is that...? I, I'm just afraid that... I suppose I'm afraid that it's the start of something, yeah. Um, I mean, there's people on... You, I'm sure some of your researchers yourself have read it as people talking about revolutions and revolting and this kind of stuff. Um, mm. it's, it is disheartening. Um, especially for for somebody who tries to see the best in people all the time um, and tries to work with the whole community to get things done and to make our little area a little bit better. Um, I mean, you, the WhatsApp groups every couple of days you see a thing coming in. They're building... They're refurbishing an old building in the town for so many, and it's always military-aged men. Mm. You know, the rumour mill is, is flying around the town about different places. We had it with our own hospital. We had to, um, Dean McGrath actually had to get in writing from somebody in the HSC to say there was no plans. That mm. was, gone. it was gone to that stage. And, where we and had can you understand... Can you understand the fear, of, the fear of the unknown there, Eddie? Um, you know, uh, like you were talking about crime rates in, in Roscoe, and I don't know because, as I said, the data isn't there. Yeah. But I, what I do know is that people, particularly women, feel intimidated when you have large gr- groups of young lads congregate. And that doesn't matter where they're from. They could be from Cashel uh, into a town. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's just fear, I suppose. Of course I do. It, it's, I wouldn't say it's fear of the unknown. I mean, look, you walk around Carrick, this, you look at social media in Carrick, you see every second night someone's been turned away from a shop they can't go into because of gang youth. You know, that fear is there and that fear is legitimate. But to tar everyone with the one brush and every time a place becomes vacant, to start saying, oh, they're moving a load of mm. middle-aged, military-aged men in there. Mm. Like, it's just talking to people. And yet, what's going to happen is, and I said it at, at a meeting about another thing, two weeks ago, what's going to happen is these fires that are taking place all around the country. Mm. It's going to happen in a town where the fire brigade is going and the local fire brigade, be they volunteers or be they full-time staff, 
somebody is going to end up either getting very badly burned or dying because of malicious lies and rumours. And, and that's what's going to happen. And that would be awful. But it's it's not ordinary people is are, are doing that, do you know? Absolutely I mean, not. Yeah, you see, it's yeah. the, the likes of the... Well, we don't want to blame anybody in particular, but... Look, but I don't you, mind naming them. Yeah, well, well, I'd prefer if you didn't name them, yeah. you know, obviously, for my point No, I'm not saying about starting yeah. fires. I'm not saying that they're starting fires. Yeah. I'm saying they're stoking the flames. Yeah. If you'll pardon the pun. Yeah. You know, well, um, I saw the other day on social media, I'm sure you've seen it on Tip FM, you follow them on, 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 on Twitter, and canvassing for one way or the other in the referendum. Mm. And the abuse they were given passes by for, for, for um, disagreeing with him. The one man told a fellow passing him by he was going to break his face mm. because he disagreed with the way he wanted him to vote. Well, it's like, interesting. These are not politicians. It, it, these, these are, are thugs who are stoking the flames of hatred. Right. Well, Eddie, as I say, it was most interesting to read your piece last night and to read the response as well. And thanks for coming on with me today, Eddie. We always appreciate thanks it. Thanks for Thank, thanks thank for you yours. very much. Thank you. Uh, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle call the lads in Slattery's Garage puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks Pat and uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Huge reaction to uh, Eddie Reid uh, speaking to me on the, the programme this morning. Uh, Brendan Crohour was on to us. Brendan of course is a Sinn Féin candidate in uh, the local elections and he was saying there is data on crime rates uh, it's on the CSO website and the JPC get uh, figures on crime rates every single uh, meeting. They do, Brendan, but there's no breakdown of the background of the perpetrators. In other words, there's no breakdown of where they're from or, or whatever. Um, as I say, a lot of anger out there uh, coming into us, uh, following my words with, with uh, Eddie and um, uh, community activist in Ross Grey, Justin Phelan, is with me. Justin, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm well, uh, Justin. But you're 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 upset over what you heard, are you? <laughs> I, I, I'm a little less uh, calmer this morning, eh, uh, Fran, than I was the last morning I was speaking to you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, Fran. I didn't get the whole conversation this morning. I I I I, I jumped back into the truck here and I heard this conversation with uh, what's the guy's name? Eddie Eddie Reid. I think Reed. said was his yes, name. Yes. yes. Eddie is a community think, activist in Carrick and Shore. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure who he is, a friend or whatever. Um, that's neither here nor there. I just uh, he made a couple of statements, friend, and a couple of sentences which I felt well needed to be um, run back over because they're simply not true. Uh, and I just thought it would be unfair for him to have his speak and well for someone to not be able to counterbalance. You know. Yes, well, we're delighted to give you you a platform. What what in particular upsets you, Justin? <gasps> well. Okay, so as I said, and I didn't hear the whole conversation, yeah. but I the first thing I did hear was something about him saying people were screaming at children. Yes. Now I thought I thought this thing, Fran, was well uh, tidied up and and sorted out, and and people were aware of what or who was screaming and why people were screaming. Mm. Nobody was screaming at children. Number one. Okay. Number two, he's very strong, Fran, on his points about people fleeing war. Okay. Mm. And the reality is, friend, uh, the people of Ross Grey don't have any problem with anybody taking refuge in their town if they are, in fact, 
fleeing genuine war. But we know the reality, Fran, is that not all these people are fleeing genuine war. One example, Fran, uh, I have a little guy in fourth, fifth class in school, Fran. A guy joined his class yesterday. Six, actually, four joined his class last week. Oh, you're, not, you're, not going, you're, you're not going to say anything specific about anybody in particular to me now. I am not, Fran. I have yeah. no names, no anything. Okay. All I'm right. going to say is this little guy, his parents are of African descent, and he was born in the UK, he has a UK accent, and he's well able to speak English. He's here with his father, and his mother is working back in the UK. Mm. So uh, whether he's, uh, you know, so are they fleeing war, Fran? I don't think so. Mm. Okay? Um, Eddie also made a point about something, uh, 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 as I said, Fran, I didn't hear fully, but he's talking about, uh, you know, we already have our own problems, and, and asylum seekers or migrants are getting the blame for... Uh, doing stuff that's not particularly on them, or we already have Irish people... Well, well you, doing, d- you didn't hear it all, so let me just sum up one of the main points he made, was that people's anger, and I, I, I said to him that pe- people are rightly angry because there's not services to back up what's imposed on, on communities, but he said people's anger would be better uh, pointed at the government for their failings rather yes. than the people coming into yes. the country. And people's anger in Ross Gray, Fran, is not pointed anywhere else only at government. But we're, we're nearly seven weeks at this crack now, Fran, OK? And we have zero, zero correspondence from government. Zero. Not one word. All Helen McEntee keeps on telling us is that there's nothing wrong and there's no issues. But if Eddie wants to come to Ross Gray, Fran, and ask the people on the street whether we have issues or not, he'll get his answer. It's, it's really quite simple. We're not making this stuff up, Fran. You know? Yeah, and I, I put that to him, and again, the same thing came up about there not being a correlation between people coming in and crime rates uh, surging up. And again, yeah, I well, know you didn't hear no all of it. there to back that up, Brent. I yeah. heard you saying Brendan yeah. O'Connor come on and said there was figures. Yeah, well, there's they're not. They're not broken there's, down. No, yeah, yeah, uh, not, they're not yeah. broken down as such. But yeah. again, Fran, uh, this again comes back to bad government policy. So if you're going to increase the population of a town, you're probably going to have increased crime. And unless you meet that with increased guard numbers, well, you're going to have what you're going to have. And the reality is, Fran, that the crime rates have increased in our town in the last 18 months or two years. That's just reality. On the ground, that's the reality, Fran. So these these guys, Fran, going around handing out leaflets saying our problem should be with the government are correct. Our problem is with the government, Fran. But that doesn't mean that we should continue to fill our small town with people who are not making any positive contribution. We already have enough people who don't make positive contribution in society. We shouldn't add to the problem, in my opinion. Um, Are you concerned that over the last while, I mean, you know, I thought this had died down a little bit in terms of people pointing the finger at people in Ross Grey and... You know, speak, speak about that incident where, where the, the people arrived in the bus and, they, the, you know, there was jostling and all of that. I, I yeah. thought that had sort of dwindled away, but, but it's alive and well in some quarters in terms of how people view Ross Grey residents. Yes, it is alive and well in some quarters, Fran. Uh, unfortunately, not, maybe not unfortunately, Fran. I don't think it's any harm to have people talking about uh, what's going on or what has went on. But uh, it's it's it's... It was very easy, Fran, um, have an opinion, I think, from uh, two or three videos that were put up on social media that weren't, um, you know, didn't show what actually happened, Fran, in its, in its, full, in its full light, you know. If, if, if people want to go back and watch full videos, Fran, which are there to be seen mm. of what did happen, well, then people would be very, very clear that there was nobody uh, intentionally screaming at women and children. The screaming and the shouting was being done, Fran, on that Monday morning in Ross Grey because 
the state came in and caused uproar, basically, okay? And then there was videos went out which uh, seemed that people were screaming at women and children who were coming off a bus. But the reality is this, Fran. Uh, I'm not really sure who made the decision to take these women and children off the bus at the time they took them off the bus. But that's what they had done. Uh, In my opinion, Fran, done uh, uh, intentionally the way it was done because uh, I'm not sure whether they work for what department in the state they work for, whether they work for Tusla or the Department of Children. I'm not sure. Now, you know they would would disagree. Of course, but I just have to... I'll let you go on, but I just have to put it in there. They would disagree with you completely and absolutely on that interpretation. Now, now, do go on. If I I was standing on the front of a bus, Fran, and there was... there was uh, women and children behind me sitting on this bus, and I saw a foray going on, Frank, because that's all you could call it, with maybe 50 or 60 people, okay? Yes. Men, in most cases. Do you think, Frank, that it was a good idea to take women and children off a bus at that moment and walk them through this foray? Not a good idea, Frank, but that's what they had done. Well, well I think an- anybody looking at that situation would have to say it probably wasn't dealt with properly at, exactly. uh, at the it time or it could have been dealt with, it with better. It wasn't dealt with on the day, Fran, properly and it hasn't been dealt with since. Can I, I, can I take you back to friend. something else you said to me there just a while ago, Justin? You said you've had no uh, correspondence or no nothing with government or government representatives in okay, Frank, we have a we have a committee here set up uh, for the last six or seven weeks in town since all this stuff kicked off. Uh, uh, that committee have has met with uh, uh, the, uh, all of our public representation as far as you know, five TDs uh, and everything else. But so those not in power, Frank, or not in government, well, they don't have anything to tell us really because well, they don't know they're on the outside. They don't know what the news is. Okay, uh, those in Fianna Fáil tell us there's no problem and they're going to give us a new hotel and it's all going to be rosy. And well, Fianna Gael, Fianna Gael haven't shown their face in Ross Grey, Frank. None of them. Uh, not, 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 not. And, one. and I presume we, we you have... heard what uh, Minister Helen McEntee had to say. Was it last week she was in the, yeah, uh, the I, county? I think she had something to say last week, Frank, and I think she had, may have had something to say the week before as well. Yeah, but she, part of what she said was that, you know, the fears that, that women in particular are, are feeling in Ross Grey is unfounded. You know, it's unfounded. Well, yeah, well, well, there was a woman from Ross Grey in the Aviva Stadium on Sunday, Fran, who happened to bump into Mr. Meehan Martin and Helen McEntee. OK, Meehan Martin pretended like he never heard of Ross Grey, which doesn't surprise me. I'm not sure if the man was ever in Ross Grey. And um, Helen McEntee the same, pretended and brushed it off like it wasn't a thing, you know. I, I just don't understand, friend. Democracy here is empty. These people are is dead. These people are not giving us any answers. If Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice, was doing her job, in my opinion, she'd come to Ross Grey and stand in front of the people and answer their questions. But she won't, friend. No more than Hall Martin will. These guys, these guys now, friend, are gone so far that they're allowed to walk off a stage at a press conference and not answer a question based on who and what or where that question is coming from. You, you're, refer- you're, at, re- you're referring to Grift uh, there. Um, uh, uh, yes, I'm, re- I'm referring to Grift, Fran, and yeah. referring to Leo Varadkar, Eamon Ryan and Micheál Martin walking off a stage after being asked a legit, a legit uh, question. And I think it also must be remembered, Fran, the same people who are telling us that there's no issues in Helen McEntee, Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin are the same people trying to push these referendums that are coming on us down our necks and telling us to vote yes. That, that in itself, Fran, that in itself is enough in my opinion. 
All right. You know? Well, Justin, good to talk to you today, and uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on with us. Thank you. Sounds fine. Thank thanks. you. Bye-bye, Janelle. That's Justin Phelan uh, speaking to us there. 1800-938-007, responding to uh, Eddie, who spoke to me uh, before uh, 10 o'clock. How do you feel about that? All right, then, let us uh, move on, because uh, just in the latter part of our conversation there, Justin made reference to... Um, the referendums that are on the way and after listening to uh, Senator Mary Siri Carney speaking about uh, the referendums on uh, the programme yesterday many people got in touch to share their own uh, feelings on this and Fiona joins me now Fiona good morning to you uh, Good morning Fan And uh, good, good to talk to you today your, your feelings on the referendum would be what Fiona? Um, well absolutely no no on both on both counts so I, I just think there was blatant misinformation given out there by the government. Um, they used very emotive language, such as, you know, uh, women in the home, tying the woman to the home kind of thing. And it's completely misinformation because that is not in our constitution. Um, and they were pulled up I, on that, uh, weren't they? Um, Minister Martin yeah. in particular pulled up on that, Roderick O'Gorman as well, about putting that out there when that's not part of That's not actually in it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I looked this up after hearing Senator Michael McDowell speak and he was talking about uh, the guillotine motions. Yes. I was kind of curious what that was. So mm. um, I, w- I did a bit of research on it. And um, we have, well, first of all, it was that it took kind of three days to go through. But I was looking kind of uh, before that and I saw this thing called pre-legislative scrutiny. Mm. And um, there's a bit of history on that, if I could go through it mm. just a bit yes, quickly. Please. Yeah, yeah that, that's great. So we have... Um, we have 160 TDs in our in our government. Well, in the the doll, but we really the government is only made up, and this is in the constitution. It can be no less than seven ministers and no greater than 15. So 15 people are, are running, you know, five million people basically, and it's kind of the insider thing. Then you know, so they brought this in. Um, I think it was 2011 where they had this uh, pre-legislative scrutiny. And they said that in order for all the TDs to have their say in any new legislation or any changes, that they wanted all the TDs to have their say. And so they'd be... Um, it was first introduced in, into the houses of the Oireachtas following the 2011 general election. Yes. And, but, it, um, but it was all but a, abolished, uh, really. In yeah, times, in 2020. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah, but that was when this government uh, took office. And I suppose they put that, you know, mm. the, the pandemic was there. But ju- just for listeners, for you, basically it's a way to fast track a situation, isn't it? Isn't that exactly, what it is? Yeah. Exactly. So there should be this pre legislative scrutiny. But what happened was um, the first. Uh, what they call the general scheme, which is kind of a draft bill uh, of of these um, mm. proposed uh, amendments, that came in on the fifth of December. That was published, and a day later, Roderick O'Gorman saw it, and he was granted the waiver from this pre-legislative scrutiny. And so then they approved it the next day, so three days. So that's what the fast tracking was. So but but isn't, isn't it, a a, isn't it an un- unusual situation, though, because with the exception of Antu, even the opposition are in uh, going for yes, yes, yeah, where, where these referendums exactly. are concerned? I, uh, I was listening recently to um, Andrew Bridgman in the UK mm. 
who was expelled from the Conservative Party because of his views on, on a different issue on the, the amendments to the health treaty. But he, he calls what's over there the uni party. And I think that's what we have. We have a uni party. We have no opposition. They're all singing off the same hymn sheet. And actual fact, Mary Lou Macdonald said... If this gets a no vote, they'll go back again and do it again. So we're democracy there. How did you feel about that? Because we have a history of doing that, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in fairness to her, I presume that if she did go back to the people, she'd go back with a different wording because she has some issues with the current wording, but she still is in support of yes, yes. Yeah, well, I I just think they're all singing off the same hymn. Can, can I ask you specifically, worried. specifically, what's troubling you about uh, the family amendment? Let's let's start with that. What what, what troubles um, you about that in particular? Well, the family amendment they're they're taking out. Um, they're taking out the thing that on which the family is founded, yes, and they're putting marriage in this on durable, which the is founded. Yes. Yeah, this yeah. this term durable relationship or yeah durable relationship. Now that's neither defined nor it's limited in scope. So they, basically, that can be anything. Mm. And people have said that they've said like um, that it could be interpreted as the chair of the electoral. Electoral Commission actually recently stated that that could be defined as a couple getting a Christmas card. I mean, mm. it's just incredible. Uh, mm. what, no, what no, you know mean? that's that's been disputed you know? greatly by uh, the people who are pro the uh, the, uh, the the yes vote, and they're saying that this will eventually be challenged in the courts and decided upon in the Supreme Court in terms of what exactly yeah. is, is a durable relationship. But also, I mean, several people who spoke to me on the programme who are pro-yes, yes, saying that, you know, there's this information out there, people are getting a little overexcited as about what, what durable is. Sure, it'll all be grand in the end. Oh, yeah, it's opening up a can of worms. We can see that, like, we don't even know if previous relationships that you had, uh, say, mm. foster kids with they have a durable relationship. Can they contest the will? Farmers are worried about succession for land. You know, it's absolutely incredible. And I say, if in doubt, vote no. And mm. also, the, the whole thing of the money this is costing. I mean, twenty million this morning. Yeah, absolutely mm. incredible. When you think that at the weekend there, a former nurse from Carlow uh, died on the street in Dublin. You know, in in, mm. in um. A sleeping bag. Yes, a home, homeless rush. she was. Yeah, absolutely 40, 47 unbelievable. Years old. Yeah, absolutely incredible that somebody in this day and age, in our, in in this first world, seemingly country, uh, could just die of cold. Not to mention, like the UHL in Limerick. You know, the people just dying there, waiting to be seen. I mean, the whole and the whole thing about this as well that people say, you know, oh well, you know. Uh, this will be good for carers or this will be mm. good. But the thing is that the government have, they have an executive authority. I actually made sure this was true now because mm. uh, I heard a barrister um, saying this and, uh, and yes, it is. They have they have an executive authority to make amendments to the constitution without any referendum. Yes. They can do so. So if they wanted to make a law to make, uh, to offer more things for carers, 
to uh, make more rights for anyone. They could do that. They don't have to do this. Well, their, their history on supporting carers has been rather rather poor, to say say the least, Fiona. You know, absolutely. Uh, what about yeah. the taking as a woman yourself? What about taking out woman and mother out of these articles? Uh, well, I think I think that is absolutely unbelievable that they can do this. And you see, as well as that, we have. We have, um, I think positive law is a man-made law. And I was just referring as well to, there was a Supreme Court judge there um, called Brian Walsh. Now, this was back maybe 1990 or so. And he was talking about the Article 41, which is all about the family. Yes. And he said the rights set out in that. We we actually, as people, have those. They are fundamental. They are inalienable and imprescribable rights. They're superior to any man-made rights. So, and actually, by virtue of being alive, we have these rights. And that right as a mother to, you know, to, um, that you are not obliged to go out by economic necessity to engage in labour, to the neglect of your duties in the home. Now, I know people are saying, oh, duties in the home. But, look, we all have a duty in the home, home, you know. So you don't see that as draconian... Yeah, you don't see that as draconian language then, do do you? Because, again, that's one of the other claims. Yes, as, as a mother, I think my duty is to my children, and I don't have any problem with that and I think every person alive as a mother and a father now I would say they they could have changed the wording, they could have said fathers or other primary caregivers, grandparents look after kids and so on Mm. but to take out our inalienable right here that we have nobody has ever brought that to court Does that that annoy the hell out of you? I I was talking to a woman last night up in uh, Templemore and she said to me look she said um, you know, you can talk about men in the home and all of this, but by and large, women are women, the ones yeah. who are right. looking after families, and largely it's women who are carers. You know, yes, now, now exactly. we can we can be as inclusive as we want to be and as woke as we want to be, but it is largely women, is it not? It is, it is, and and I think as well there was a census on women uh, out going out to work and a large majority of people or women would prefer to be with their children but you know they have yeah. to because of economic necessity but like we have this this is enshrined in our constitution that we have you know this 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 thing in our constitution at the moment and we are trying to say now we'll get rid of that why when everybody wants you know choice, choice, it's always choice and now we're getting rid of this choice. Well, we might as well get rid of it because, I mean, when has the state come to the fore with it? I mean, again, just to read it, mm-hmm. it was only a couple of lines. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of the... In other words, to work outside of the home, they should not yes. be obliged to do... But when did the state ever make that easy no. for, for women you know exactly you? i don't think i don't think anybody has actually um, ever you know um brought that to court because people don't know the constitution i didn't know it but i'm so mm. outraged by our current 15 we'll say the insiders we'll call them a so-called government you know uh it's unbelievable what they're doing. You know, when you said woke there, it's certainly true because people are afraid to even say, no, you know, 
yes, I, I want women to be in this. I want mother to be in our constitution, be protected. I even heard someone say, oh, this goes back to de Valera, and he was so kind of, you know, anti-women and women by the sink. Influenced and I, so by I the Catholic mental. Church and all of that, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and mm. it's nothing to do with that. It's the right we have by being alive. And in our constitution, mothers are protected there, and their role is seen, that their role is so, you know, um, we have this role uh, that we care for children at home and we have this right if we didn't want to go out to work and nobody has ever brought that because they probably don't know about it. Mm. But, you know, well, I, my should, understanding is there, there, there's been challenges over the years, I, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Fiona, because I've heard over the last yeah. couple of days, you know. Um, but anyway, you've made up your mind. Absolutely. And and the other thing I, I, I think, you know, and I said misinformation, they use this very emotive language, like the mother, now they've then said, no, that's not right. You can hear them all spouting it off, the Greens, whatever whatever they are, whoever they are, they're sexist, you know, and this is sexist and this is, you know, old-fashioned. Well, no, it's not. A mother is not sexist. We all have mothers and, you know. And the other thing is that... Uh, the other thing they said was, you know, cohabiting couples. Now, I was cohabiting 13 years before I actually got married, mm. you know, to that man. So, you know, the thing is, you know, we are, that is also protected. We have like the, um, was it um, Omara case mm. where that Johnny man, O'Mara, his children, yes. yeah, yeah mm. he brought that, his children bought that when his partner died mm. and he got he got the right to get the widow's pension. Mm. And the government, as I said before as well, they have this exec- executive authority. So they can actually make, you know, they can actually, if they wanted to, they could close any gap in the rights between married and unmarried couples because it's However, it is worth so. pointing out, Fiona, that at least under this, uh, single parent families will be recognised and the invisible work that carers do might finally be recognised in some way. I mean, what, what, what would your answer be to that? Well, I think it doesn't give any right to recognise anybody. It's basically taking things away. We're, we're actually taking out the recognition of mother. Why why take out the word mother? Who who can be... Um, why is that old-fashioned? Why put in this term well, durable to make it gender, gender, gender neutral, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. unbelievable. Why not instead add actual wording? Uh, mothers, fathers, or other primary givers, caregivers, you know? Uh, why not actually define what a durable relationship? Why did they rush it through in in basically a c- couple of days? Well, I suppose they wanted to this? they wanted to have it on International Women's Day. Uh, yeah, maybe. that's another thing. It's this is like I think uh, McDowell said what some some Egypt or something in government buildings. That <laughs> said, Thought you know, that might and be a good is, idea. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they think oh, this is held on International Women's Day, so it appears that we're doing something great for women, <laughs> and it's absolutely the opposite. They're mm. not doing anything for and, anyone. And do you think is it a bit? I mean, I can tell from talking to you, you've put a lot of work into this. I mean, you you have informed yeah. your decision as far as you're concerned um, but yeah. a lot of people who are I'm not saying you're not busy but some people are they're trying to go about their lives and this might be washing over them a bit and they could be influenced to vote either way without seeing the repercussions or without seeing the detail does that concern you Fiona? Uh, it does what, what really concerns me is that um, I, I've talked to a lot of people about this and 
None, they're all completely confused. They go, yeah. I don't know what it's about. And I think that is deliberate on the part of the government. They have put it in such a way, it's not simple to understand, it's confusing. They have used emotive language and it's, it's you know, they're rushing it through mm-hmm. as if, you know... Well, Fiona, Why are they rushing it, 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 it was good to talk to you today and a most most interesting conversation, Fiona. Thanks, 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 so thanks for much, making Dan. time for us and thank you. And, and thank you very much. Thanks. Oh, I love welcome. the show. Ah, oh, thanks, bye, Fiona. Fans. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, Fiona speaking to us there. Let's uh, take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Well, we just heard from Fiona, who is uh, voting no in both uh, referendums, and uh, Pat joins me now. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I think you've made up your mind to vote yes, Pat. I have indeed. Okay, can, I you, have. can you tell me why? Um, to be honest with you, when I was reading the, the, the referendum um, and the two articles in it that are, that are going to be, or, sorry, that are, we're voting on, whether mm. to change it or, or, it's, or, or vote yes or vote no, um, I found that the older... It was, it was, the, the, the Constitution was formed in 19, enacted in 1937, yes. right? Mm. And a lot of changes have happened in society since then. Mm. And especially in the, in the latter years, um, there have only been 39 different, or 30, sorry, 38 different amendments to the Constitution since then. Mm-hmm. But, um, and that covered a wide range of, 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 of issues that had to be inserted inside into, into the Constitution. Now, Looking at the, the, the present referendum and, and, and looking at the article, say, 41-1, that, that lady previously that was on your show there that was talking about it, yes. um, the, that, that the, the, the state recognises the family as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society. Mm-hmm. Now, they wanted to change that, that the state recognises the family, with, whether founded on marriage or other durable relationships. Mm. Now, there is an awful lot of people that have forsaken marriage Mm-hmm. And they are living either in a, a durable relationship, or they're living in a permanent relationship, or whatever the case may be, or have decided that through economic necessity, that is not viable for them to get married, because there can be a lot of pressure put on, um, peer pressure put on as a girls, or oh, where's your wedding, and what the hotel you're going to, and whatever the case may be, and the expense in it. So it is, uh, it could be an economical. Uh, an economic choice made by that couple to stay that stayed say that they are going to stay inside in in outside of marriage, but they're going to be inside in a home and create a family within that home. And I think that's important that that therefore that is founded on marriage or on other durable relationships as the natural primary and fundamental mm. unit group of society. And do you think the word durable is a suitable word there, or do you think it's open to all sorts of interpretation? Does that is that a concern that you might have at all? No, I no. wouldn't. I, I, 
I, I look at this. You could put in a word inside there, a permanent relationship. But a permanent relationship mm. is, is not... Of course, and what, what's be. permanent? And, uh, what's permanent, and you know? The other yeah. aspect of that, of course, is the, the state pledging uh, to guard with special care the institution of marriage on which the family is founded. Um, it, it's interesting about that because they want to hang on to the notion that, that marriage is special, but still it's going to be on par with the durable relationship. So I don't know how... How is it going to be special? If no, I have to be quite honest with you, Frank. Friend, for those people that have already gone through uh, the marriage and the solemn oaths that we put uh, on our wedding day, or whatever the case may be, yes. uh, like myself and the older brigade will put it up with you, <laughs> yes. uh, we are married, yeah. and uh, we would like to see that enshrined inside in the Constitution, not yes. through uh, any type of religion, but we still would like to have it included inside in it. And just to, to get rid of the, the, the saying about which the family is founded. No, they had to get rid of that because it, it is in contrast to the, uh, the, other the aspect previous of one, the article, 4111. Yes. And like, they had to do something inside there to reward that. So like if 4111 is people say, oh, right, I don't agree with that, but I do agree with the second one. Well, that's not, how, that's not easy. You have to right. vote yes or no on the two articles to be amended. And can so, I ask you on the care aspect of it then, the care amendments, um, right, uh, and, and that, those, those two articles thrown out then and replaced by that paragraph. Yes, with, yes with Pat, 42B. Sorry. Yes. Now, um, what do you call it, that, to be quite honest, you know, I know the other lady said there that, is, that the woman's um, name has been taken out of, that, out of context inside Yes, it. woman and, and mother, yes. Mother, mm. Woman and mother. Mm. Now, uh, I, I feel inside it that that, that particular... Um, uh, two two things there, forty one two, and forty two one and forty one forty one two two. Yes. That those particular ones there, like they were written in nineteen thirty seven, mm. so they were put into the constitution in nineteen thirty seven, and a lot, as I said to you, has changed mm. over the years, right? So that that alone is there is there other members of a family. Uh, it could be that the fact is that if a man is married, say to to a higher earner. We'll say like a solicitor or a doctor, mm. right? And inside the, the present constitution, that it shouldn't be for economic uh, purposes that the that the, the 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 female should go out and and uh, sorry should stay inside in the home. Yes. Whereas the, the male could be inside in the home, minding the children or doing the care inside it, and let the the higher earner out to work. So it doesn't distinguish. The new one doesn't distinguish which side of the partnership goes. But in the older one, it's distinguishing the partnership as the female end. Well, well explained, Pat. And But do you have any problem with the word strive? Because that's the only question that I would have around that is stri- that again, striving to support the provision. Uh, strive leaves itself open to, like, not doing anything, I suppose. Um, I, I, they should strive. I, like, to me, that would be that, that they wouldn't interfere in, in, in future, um, right. if, the men, if that amendment is passed, that they wouldn't interfere. They would strive to support each, each such provision inside it. Like, we'll take it for granted. We had, an, we had a conversation there some months back as regards uh, grandparents, for example. Yes. Right. And minding the children inside in the home and how mm. much we, we appreciate the fact that we have our grandchildren, maybe during the day, whatever the case may be, and we look after them while the mother goes out to, to work and, bury the, and, and the, the father, both parents are going out to work for economic necessities now. Yes, yes. Because that's what is, is happening today. It will take two people to pay a mortgage. It will take two people to support a home. So, right, you either farm out your children out into 
uh, uh, um, um, nurseries or whatever the case may be. But it's nice to have the support of other members of the family, which that particular care amendment has put in. The state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bond. Are you across the issues that people with disability have about this aspect of the the change as well in in, in the... I didn't actually take into into account the the fact of disability into that. I didn't take that into account. But what I am am saying is that that I'm just looking at the family or the... We just said the the home as a a society or as a group that's inside Mm. it, right? Yes. That I don't like to see that women are alienated, which I don't think they are. You know, uh, an acknowledgement of that there is both people inside in a society, whether it is all male, male, female, or two females. It is, this, this is what has to be included inside, and in, in, uh, has to be taught about as regards uh, the fundamental aspects of a home. A home can be made up not alone of, of a male and female, but it can be made up of two males, uh, two mm. females. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, we have to take into account those aspects of it. And that's why I say that, that on, the, on the, the care amendment, I would definitely uh, uh, say yes to what that proposal is being put in and to uh, exclude Articles 41.2.1 and 41.2.2. All right. Well, Pat, you make a very compelling argument and you've, again, like Fiona, you've put an awful lot of time into into this as well. Lovely to talk to you today, Pat, and thanks for that contribution. It was great. Thank you. You're welcome, friend. Thank Bye-bye you. Now. Bye-bye to you Bye-bye. now. And that's uh, Pat there um, opposing Fiona, I suppose, in terms of their, their views, but both very eloquent, I'm sure you'll agree. We'll be back with interior design in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie This... Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Well, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Huge reaction to both Pat and uh, Fiona there. And thank you for that. And we will go back to it. But let's let's go to something completely different now. Give ourselves a little break from referendums and all of that kind of thing. Because I'm joined in the studio by Karen Prendergast, our interior designer. Good morning to you. Good morning, and how friend are you today, and everybody. Karen? I was travelling the weekend I was away for the weekend so I'm um, back (laughs) at it this morning Alright, you're, you're kind of hyper this morning, are we, currently? Are hyper, we yeah, hyper, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sitting outside listening to all the chats, you see, driving in and then listening to all the chats and I'm going in and I'm thinking, how am I going to follow in those footsteps just uh, talking about look, interior design? You, you just be you and that's good <laughs> enough for all of us. It, 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 the interior design process, w- would you explain it to us? I will. Uh, so I'll tell you how it all starts and then I'll tell you the majority of the type of work that I yeah. do. So it and, and when people ring me, they say, oh... I feel like I know you so well because I'm listening to you on the radio or whatever. I'll have done the job from a few years ago and I'm going back to do more. But it's a bit scary sometimes. I, I, f- I get that vibe from people that they're not sure what to say when I pick up the phone. So, mm. you know, I'll introduce myself and I say, will I tell you how it works and whatever. So how it all starts really is always with consultation on the phone, then a house visit. I go look at the job. The job might be just a once-off that I can help them with their colours and um, give them all the suggestions and help that they need on the day, mark up the colour cards, maybe have samples with me, different things, leave them and job done, they know what to do. 
Um, also on that day, if it's only a one-off or indeed if it's more work, I'm able to give them a costing of kind of, if someone wants to go to bathroom, I have a fair idea of what their bathroom will cost to go to or replace yes. the kitchen or whatever. And everything really that we discuss on the first visit, if I'm going to be doing some work for them, isn't set in stone. So that's important to say to people that just because we discuss something doesn't mean until we actually go to do it and, you know, get the pricing done and have a start date, things can change. So people are always thinking if they say something to me once, maybe it's set in stone and that's not the process with interior design. Sometimes it can be, but maybe not. So if it's more than the one-off visit, then I'm looking at um, often at the design development. So it could be layout of fixtures and fittings, finishes, furniture, fabrics, colours, lighting, decor, all different types of appliances. Could be TVs, it could be kitchen appliances, you know, it could mm. be whatever's needed for a bathroom. So it's there's quite a lot involved mm. in, I suppose, the process and knowing again I'm always talking about getting the best best deals and knowing where to go mm. that you can see the stock because But it's a spectrum, Karen, isn't it? I mean it could be anything from one room to the entire house. Is it, is Absolutely. That... It could be one room that needs a lot of work and the other rooms just need a repainting. It could be just somebody wants help with the whole lot of the colours. Maybe somebody's not sure what they're going to do and they're wondering will their budget cover what they want to do yes. and they may never get me to do the job. So it is every single job is so unique and different. Every house I go into everybody's different. Nobody wants the same things but for me as an interior designer I'm going over the same stuff over and over again on jobs. Right. A, a good example is the, the mood board you have here in front of me where you had a, I, I'm trying to be kind to the room but it was a rather unfortunate room wasn't it? Was, it? it was you... It was. An, um, an old house and um, we, I knew when I went in there that there was a damp issue there so when we went in there and took the room apart we had an awful damp issue. But how did you even see potential in that room because... I see potential in everything and, yeah. it, and and if we have a build there the majority of anything in a house can be fixed yes. so there's potential in everything but the potential sometimes to the end product costs more than the client or the person that owns the house might have thought of in the beginning if right. we're all lucky enough to hit something like damp or wet or when we do take down walls or you know take down dry lining or whatever and we might hit something that we hadn't thought we might hit in the first place price wise Right. So that's the trouble with old houses, isn't it? And of everything course, can know. be fixed. Yeah. Um, in, in this case, was this place with, with the fireplace, was that, you, you made it into a bedroom, but was it a bedroom? No, no it no, was, right. no, no, it was a good sitting room. So okay. it went from being a good sitting room into a bedroom and then we broke out to the left-hand side um, of the room and we made a beautiful ensuite, which you can see the finished yeah, product there, gorgeous, a beautiful yeah. ensuite there. Again, took a little bit of work, but when you have a good builder on board, um, work like that is there bread and butter yes, and their everyday yeah. work as well. But the transformation is amazing. It is amazing. I mean, and amazing. again, going back to what you said, my job in the beginning is to see through all of that and to be able to assure the client that the end job will be what we're expecting. Right. The the, the wardrobe space is just... Yeah, we put the up base, a, we put, as the head of the the, the head of the bed um, is against a, a stud wall that we put up with room enough behind to, to walk, uh, walk in. in wardrobes on both sides. It's stunning, it's isn't it? It really, really is. And is that bespoke? Yes, that's totally bespoke. Oh, okay. right. So either side of the head of the bed um, is completely open, so you can see the wardrobes. So you walk in one side and out the other. 
Right. Is there underfloor floor heating there as well? There is underfloor heating in that as well. Right. I'd love that. I'd love it, friend. Yeah. You know, is it very dear? It's it's expensive, and if you if if it's not a new build or if it's not an extension that's new, well then you have to dig up the floors to put the underfloor heating down. So there is quite a cost involved, but I mean, fantastic. Right. I don't have underfloor heating, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nor me. I, I'm just looking at the transformation of the hall um, as well, and that's that's gorgeous Again, too. Again, we, yeah. we, we knocked the front porch. We put took the front porch and we put it into the main hall. Yes. And we took down the stairs and we custom-built a beautiful oak stairs oh, with open treads and glass. Gorgeous. Very, really, it's, really it's like the house that I got it was quite old fashioned and needed a lot of work but when we were finished with it it was bang up to date you know oh, and you can see with the ensuite that we put in um, the double vanity basin as well oh, something else. and the black hardware so lovely um, uh, mirrors with a black surround and black taps and whatever so absolutely gorgeous it really is uh, I really love the, the glass as well the, it, yeah. it looks like stained glass isn't it it is yeah it is it, yeah. it is to look like that yeah, yeah you know great, but yeah. um there's so many options out there now and I suppose um, some people are contemporary in their style, some people are more traditional, some people are very modern, so it's to please everybody's taste. Of course. And now you're going to talk to us about colours because people are always asking. Oh, yeah. Always and, asking. And asking me, imagine, I know, about colours because I, know, I have no idea And you're idea trying to colours. jot them down. So well, well, it's just a, a bit, little bit colour In, in one hand, so. I have some um, creams. Okay. And in the other hand, I've got some tops. So I grabbed these this morning before I came out. So the first one, right. and again, if you Google the name, you'll get a colour swatch of it up on, online as well. The first one is soda bread. Okay. So just describe that to me now. So that's a what? It's, is that cream? It's a Yeah, it's a pale cream. Okay. It's a pale cream, but there's a hint of gold in these colours that I'm showing you. The next one is classic white. A great little colour, enough white, great for timber work, or great if somebody just wants enough white on the wall. So classic white. Hmm. My next one I have is Cashmere Wrap. C-A-S-H-M-E-R-E Wrap. Again, a gold hue to it, a yellowy gold hue to it as opposed to What do you mean by a gold hue to that? If you compare the two of these, do you see, uh, so I I have Portland Dock beside it, so this this is more yellowy gold, this is more grey. I'm with you. Toned. Right, right. It's lovely warm. So that's Cashmere Wrap, a very good one um, if somebody's got um, maybe gold carpets or you know, golden red carpets or maybe gold tone furniture, a great one, cashmere wrap. And the last one on that section is half penny white. Lovely one for kitchens, used quite a lot in stairways and kitchens, but a great one for halls as well. A nice little pale cream. Yes. Lovely, on yeah. the gold tones. You have to be very careful with the whites though. I remember years ago we were caught in the bathroom uh, in terms of the the tile being a different white yes. to, to the white yes, on the wall. Yes, so uh, is there more than, there's loads of different types of white, what you'll find in the gold section of the colour trend colour chart there'll be one or two in the grey side there'll be one or two in the top side there'll be one or two off whites and they're tonal to go with right, okay. different colours. So the next ones I have then, so they're my gold colours. Yeah. My next one I have is Temperance, T-E-M-P-E-R-A-N-C-E Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Portland Dock. Now these aren't whites; these are types of tops. You often refer gray. to that. At often night, refer to you? that. Yeah. Great one for painting your kitchen units. A lovely one for walls. Goes with a multitude of what's there. Um, subtle say it all the time. The painters laugh at me. They call me subtle now. I'm not joking. One or two of them. Right, that's what the colour is called. That's what the colour is called. So again, if you Google subtle, if you Google subtle, you'll get that. And the last one was Portland Dock. The next one is Ivory Tusk. Presumably ivory. Ivory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next one is oyster bed. 
Okay. Now these are all looking what very kind similar of color to is that a top. A top. A top. Okay. And the last one is fluffy cloud, a grey. A great one if you're trying to match up the light grey colour in your kitchen units. It's an identical match to the light grey okay. that's in the shops. So I'm going to hold all of these up now, the six of these up. I'm like Muriel now. I'm trying to trick you. I love, <laughs> love listening to yourself and Muriel. It's great. So these are six yes. tops with a hint of grey in them, but okay. they're all different. Right. Aren't they? Oh, God, they are, even I can see Yeah, so I'm holding the six right, together. Okay. So okay. they're very obviously... So different. as I'm holding them one by one to you, they look quite similar. But when we have the six of them there together, they're all different. Very so different. if you are trying to match up a specific item, I'll often know before I ever go to a colour chart in a house what colour I know is going to go with the furniture or the flooring or whatever they have in the house to match up. Right. But I could be going to somebody's house that will have 10, 20 swatches on the walls, friend, and they're just not sure what colour. They're... they're wore down bringing yeah. home well, colours I, I can and understand. get down. It's a tough decision to it make, is. isn't it? Because it is. you're landed with it then. You are, uh, well, you know, the hassle of painting. Yeah. It's the yeah. hassle of painting, you yeah. know. So um, it all starts with a house visit and it all ends up often on a project management right. or management managing trades and managing money and budgets and time for and, my clients. And I can see how that is demanding, but is it good fun? I mean, because you managed to see a concept come to life, I suppose. Um, yes, I do. It is good fun. And I suppose I met it so long, it's second nature to me. Some jobs can be more challenging than others. Some clients can be more challenging than others. <laughs> Genuinely, yes, you know, of course, yeah, because <clears throat> some people may be in the habit of getting work done or they might have family that got work done and they might have heard the lingo going on. Then you'll have other people who will have never done anything to their house and it's very hard to get their head around it all. Right. So it's about guiding them, um, having them trust you, build up a relationship course, yes. first day and having them trust you. And Well, you see, I'm very slow to change as well, Karen, so I can understand how you know yeah. people might feel about Yeah, so, you, and, know, you know, it's always good to have somebody on board that, I suppose, like myself, that knows what they're they're doing, yeah. but is willing to listen. Of course, oh, you'll put all of that up oh, on yeah. your on your yeah. own uh, site, which yes. is in t- in, on Facebook. It's Interior Concepts. Okay. On Instagram, it's Interior Concepts, and my website is Interior Concepts. Right. And if people want to chat to you, yeah, I'm oh eight six six zero six nine zero zero nine. That's oh eight six six zero six. 9009. A bit of a tongue very, twister. Very good indeed. And if anybody wants to donate underfloor heating to me, or indeed to you, <laughs> we'd be delighted. Karen, great to see Thank you. you thanks, thanks very much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now, we're delighted to have uh, teamed up with Vodafone to promote their high digital initiative. And uh, if you want to know how you can learn online skills for everyday life, well, this is an opportunity because Vodafone Foundation, in partnership with the organisation alone, they've created online skills training for older people. 
and uh, the training is available online at highdigital.ie or via in-person classes. And with the right support, you don't have to be scared, they tell me, of technology and you can embrace it. So have a listen to this uh, uh, tip from our Shay. Your smartphone is a wonderful tool, opening amazing ways to connect with friends, family or even businesses all over Ireland and across the world. Whether it's chatting to your family and friends on WhatsApp, grabbing a bargain by safely online shopping or even doing all your daily banking needs through an app, your phone or tablet can help you do it all. If you wanted to learn how to use these features on your device, now you can with High Digital, a free online skills course designed with older people in mind, available in person and online. So if you're ready to unlock your smartphone's potential or know someone who's always wanted to learn more online skills, go to highdigital.ie or call 1-800-203030 for more information. Brought to you by Vodafone Foundation and Alone. Thanks, Shay. And Magella was on to us and she says, just wanted to say well done to all of the organisers, organisers even, of the session at uh, Tess Burke's in Bursa Cain last night. A lovely intimate gig with uh, John Spillan. They had Sean Kane uh, last month and great to see a venue brave enough to try something new and making a success of it as well. Speaking of gigs, hello to all my lovely friends who turned out last night in uh, Templemore. We had mighty crack, mighty crack all together. But I, what happened in Templemore stays in Templemore, you know. But just hello to my friend uh, Joe Noble uh, this morning who was there in all of her glory last night, I can tell you. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Fran. How are you today? Oh, I'm beyond well. <laughs> sparkling, that's what I say. I'm sparkling. <laughs> and you are actually sparkling today. There you go now. Yes, I'll tell you, it should be television. It as long as you television. don't ask me what that colour is, you get Karen back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I won't be guessing what colour it is anyway. I, I'm a, did I tell you that I'm on the, the spectrum of colour blindness? There's quite a lot of people that would have colour issues. Yeah. They don't recognise it as being colour blind. But I remember my son going one time to, to the um, the opti- the, uh, the opticians, yes. and he asked him about um, what do you think of all the different what, what do you think of that colour there? And Luke said all the different greens, is it? All the different greens. Oh, there was only one, only one green. <laughs> but he he could see. Yeah. I went to have that that sort of digital surgery on your on your eyes, and your man gave me the test for it. And he said, "Do you realise that you're on the spectrum of colour blindness?" Now, yeah. now I'm not completely gone. I mean, mm. I can recognise certain colours, but now I know all the issues I had with matching clothes over the years. People laughing at me. And, they were and never laughing at your friend. They were. I was prancing around here one day in a shirt that I thought was grey and people were admiring it. And I said, that, that's fantastic, but it's just a grey shirt. And I said, no, it's pink. Oh, right. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. Anyway, letter number one. I was watching a show on television all about stalking and it frightened the life out of me because it made me wonder if maybe I too am a victim of stalking. I'm a man in my early 30s and a few months ago I met a woman in a nightclub and we had a few drinks and uh, had a kiss and it led to more, and uh, when I asked her back to mine for the night, we got up the next morning, I made her coffee, I called a taxi. I thought we were just two people who had a good night, and we'd go our separate ways the next day. She gave me her number, but I thought she was just being polite. I didn't contact her, and I had no intention to do so. 
A few days later, she found me on Facebook and friended me. Same on my other social media platforms. She then started turning up everywhere I went. Sometimes she would come up and say hi. Other times she wouldn't, but I pretended not to notice her. I mentioned it to a group of friends when we were out one night and I spotted her ever since they now notice her wherever we go. They like to make jokes and say I have a stalker. Well, it's really beginning to freak me out. I had a conversation with her one night saying we had a great time, but I don't see it developing into anything. And she fobbed me off and said she's not looking for anything either. But then, why is she following me? She will also message me on my social media most days. She's liked all of my pictures and uh, she got my phone number from LinkedIn and she texts me every day. She's starting to scare me. What should I do? I can't understand how he doesn't know about the blocking button feature on his social media. So he he didn't have to accept her friendship. That was number one. Uh, Now, he went from naught to 100, like in the first meeting, where it was the whole shebang. And, you know, that was it as far as he was concerned. If he's noticing this woman everywhere, when when she sent him a friend request, he accepted so did so she get the wrong impression then from, possibly, from that acceptance? Possibly, no, I mean, it could have been that he's a normal, polite person. I just thought, you know what, she was good fun and all the re- I'm not interested in her, though. Um, and just this. But seeing somebody then repeatedly everywhere does appear like there's she's tracking him. Mm. And where he goes, knows now his haunts, knows where he likes to go for a drink, knows where he goes with his mates and whatever. Um, but he needs to block her. If he doesn't want any more communications from her, he needs to block her on on the social media. He needs to maybe send a text to her and say, listen, I, I really don't want to be seeing you everywhere I go. You are entitled to be wherever you like. But, you know, I, I've noticed this pattern and it's a bit obsessive. And he's asking you, um, should he be scared? I don't think you should be scared, Fran, because I, I don't think... It's that scary. Yes. But it it would be very disconcerting if you had met somebody and it was fairly casual, even though I accept that it was, they had the full well, night. they slept together, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he, when she sent him, you know, uh, friended him, she couldn't friend him if he didn't accept it. You can't just friend somebody and just automatically be their friend then. Hmm. That's not... That's not what that feature is. And there is a button. So he just needs to um, just say, he could text her if he likes and say, listen, I am blocking you on social media. We're we're meeting everywhere. Um, I'm not, I feel like I'm being stalked. Could put it out there. Is it possible though, Phil, that she's just in that circle? You know the way you can be in a a locality or something. Absolutely. If you're of a certain age, you'll be with others of that age. Absolutely. But it does seem like, you know, she will message him on his social media most days. They're yeah. not in a relationship. Right. So yeah. I just think that she's going outside the boundaries of a very one night stand yeah. occasion for them. And she's liking and all of his pictures so she, she's she's trolling so she's stuff. looking yeah. at his stuff and he, he really should block her from that. He should if he's that concerned. And if he's certainly concerned that he, he's being stalked he certainly should do this. I kind of feel a bit sorry for her because they ended up in bed together and she, she obviously, you know, she developed feelings for him, I think, to some degree and maybe she, she's 
Um, yeah, but you can't force something no, that isn't there, I, Fran, I, I, either. I just feel a bit sorry for her, that's all. No, you're, you're right, because you're a nice person. Yeah, and, sure, no, you know, but, but it's just that he needs to block her because she's she's yeah. getting on his week now. Yes, I know. I know. Do you know? All right, so that's what he should do. Um, it's interesting, but he, he says she's starting to scare me now, but, of course, he's been watching those movies, has he not? Of course he is. But this fella's in his 30s, like. He's not 18. Do you know what I mean? Is it like he should have some degree of, you know? I mean, you can, you can look at a set of circumstances and you can make what you will of it. And it may be, as you said, that she just happens to move in the same circles, you know, if they're of a similar age or whatever. And he may have never noticed her before this nightclub event, um, where they ended up in bed together. But like, they're not in a relationship, mm. and he he accepted her friendship, even though. He knew the next morning, he was a gentleman, he got her a taxi, good luck, bought her coffee, made her coffee and goodbye now and thanks. And that was it as far as he was concerned. And I realise that's kind of quite abrupt. Yes. Uh, it certainly is abrupt. But, like, she sent him a friend request and he accepted it. He accepted it, yeah. So she read something else into, into she, that. She moment. saw something and she saw some degree of an ongoing relationship. And um, James is making a very interesting point, though. He said, what if the roles were reversed? And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? it like, if he was seen to stalk a woman. I think, you see, that would be viewed much more, um, I think it's much more sinister. Mm, yeah. Simply because, but then again, I remember that, what was it that, that um, Michael Douglas was oh, in? I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the, the bunny, bunny boiler, boiler yeah. yes. So uh, <laughs> you'd be you'd be worried about that. Um, you know, I suppose it's it's an unusual flip when it's the woman is really chasing a man. But is she? Like yeah, you said, it could be that they just happen to move the same in circles, the, the same and now he yeah. noticed her all the time because she's always there. But he did accept her friendship, and he should just not not respond to her or not whatever, or just go ahead and block her. All right, uh, letter number two. Dear Phil, I've number just... Number two is right. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that will become clear in just a moment, that gag. All right. Dear Phil, I've just started a relationship with a great guy. He's everything I could wish for in a boyfriend. He's handsome, he's funny, he's very considerate, and he treats me very well. But there's just one problem. Whenever he goes to the toilet, he leaves the door open, not just for number ones, but also for number twos. I feel it really disgusting. Um, when he first started doing it, I would just leave the room, but lately he'll do it in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, so it's obvious that I'm leaving on purpose. I don't know how to handle it. A few times I tried subtly closing the door, but he'd always open it to ask me a question. I feel I've left it too long to say anything, but it really creeps me out. I find it revolting, and I really like this guy, so I don't want it to, to put me off him, but I'm wondering, what should I do? Good God almighty. Why wouldn't she just tell him, close that door? Why I don't want to, to see me? you. I don't want to smell you. Why I would you have not. to tell the fool to close the door? Like? Yeah. I think it's really? uh, there's a, um, people attending to their ablutions. I think that matter should be dealt with 
in the privacy of a room where it's designed to do For all sure. that. You certainly don't need um, an audience and it's certainly not comfortable. It can't be comfortable yes. for, for anyone. I mean, and it's who, not conducive to conversation. It, it's it, not. It? I mean, if you ask me a question on the door, I would say, why don't you just leave that door shut and ask me the question when you come out? I wouldn't, well, I, I would never have had to deal with that situation. Yeah. But I do think that there's an element of decorum that should be maintained between couples and I certainly don't think it's okay to walk. Now, look, if somebody walked into the bathroom, you were there, but like if I was going into the bathroom, I would just put the bolt across the door. Me too, me too. You know, I mean, I just don't think, I don't think it's fair because it's not, normally people attending to their, their bathroom habits, it's not exactly something you go in and enjoy. I don't want to dilute you with having to be having chats with people. I'm doing what I need to do and please go away. But, I mean, I, I can but believe what she said. But, I mean, is he doing his number two while he's chatting to her out the door? Really? See, I don't know. She just said she she feels she's left it too late to say anything. It is never too late to tell somebody that you're really, really bothered that they don't seem to have any decorum when it comes to attending to your ablutions. Mm. They should be done in private should not be a shared exercise it's just not on and i i would i if i were her i would say this everything is a wonderful and this is a wonderful relationship one thing that really bothers me and it's going to have to change is your bathroom habits i really don't want to view them i wonder how common is that i wouldn't say it's not common at all yeah, I, I mean, when you're training your, your young people to, to use the potty and all the rest of it, yes. and there's great excitement and clapping and all sorts of <laughs> inducements. Not he, he didn't move away from that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's what he's expecting, is it? Well, I don't applause. know now, but she should suggest to him <laughs> that maybe you want to go and put on a nappy feck off. Like, I, I, I really, you know, yeah. It, it, he needs to stop that. Right. And she needs to talk to him. And she needs to tell him straight out, this really, really bothers me. I really don't want you to do that again. Yeah. And then he has to listen to her. All right. Uh, the third one. Do you know something? Sometimes I wonder. But anyway, uh, the third letter. Dear Phil, my brother and I are very close and we always have been. There's a, only a couple of years between us and we're the only children in our family, so we only really have each other. My brother got married to a lovely girl a couple of years ago and we all get on great. They had a baby recently and I was fully expecting to be asked to, to be godmother since I am his only sibling. But instead, they asked her sister and a friend of theirs to be godparents. I was really upset about it, but I let on nothing. I asked him why they chose the friend, and he said they always uh, were great friends, and he thought uh, he'd be a very good godparent. It felt like a kick in the stomach. I always thought we were close, and I was so excited about my first nephew, niece, and bought loads for the baby. Should I ask why they didn't choose me, or would I just sound petty? It just really upsets me, and I feel he doesn't feel for me uh, what I feel for him. If I were in his position, I wouldn't think twice about asking him. Well, first of all, she's not in his position. And, you know, in her opening line, she says, uh, we only really have each other. He has a wife and a baby and a family, and it's very separate to her. And I can understand this close siblings and the only were two together. But when somebody gets married their significant other becomes the, their important person. Mm. His sister will still be just his sister. 
and she had an expectation that she was going to be very involved. But his wife equally had an expectation that she would have the cho- choosing of who was going to be the godmother. Yes. And that's her sister. So there's a little... I can understand the upset of this mm. girl, but I can also understand that his wife would have a very big impact on who was going to be the godparent. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. It's... Yeah. it's um, and, and, and I feel quite sorry for her because she's really hurt by it. Hurt enough to ask him, you know... You know, like she said, it felt like a kick in the stomach. Mm. I always thought we were close and I was so excited about my first um, nephew slash niece and bought loads for the baby. But you're saying that's no indication of their closeness. Not at all. It's not at all. And it's simply in the family where perhaps she had several sisters or she had one sister or whatever and she decided she would be the godmother and he chose a friend of his to be the godfather then. Mm. Because there wasn't going to be more than one godparents. It's interesting. Does she give an indication about her own relationship stage? I would stage? say that no. I would say She's she just said she? we're very close. There's only a couple of years, and we're the only children, so we only really have each other. Yes. So the, the poor girl is feeling really left out because when somebody starts going out with somebody else, and um, the expectation is that they did what they have done and they've gotten married and they have a baby and that is what he sees now as his family and it's a very profound time in someone's life and the poor girl is probably feeling left out and thought she could play a bit part. She's no less going to be playing a bit part in this baby's life than anyone else. Mm. She's as welcome as the flowers in May I'm sure at their house and she's getting herself upset about something that's outside of her control. Yes. And she's she's getting upset for a spurious reason. Fellas don't think about things like that. Not at all. They don't they not just do not. And mothers of babies do like to choose who's going to be the godfather. Well, I, I was elected uh, worst godfather in the history of godfathers. Because I, I, I forgot who I was the godfather to. Yeah, but you know what? <clears throat> I think my oldest brother, I think he's probably a godfather too about... I, I don't know how many <laughs> children he's had. It's any of mine anyway, but um, not that it would make a difference. But it was... Uh, it's it's astonishing because every so often there's a family WhatsApp group and it's about, you know, and Eamon's my godfather and he's mine and he's mine and he's mine and he's mine. <laughs> it's all coming up on the feed and it makes me laugh, you know. But, um, yeah, people can get very upset by things like that, Fran, when there's a, a, a life event and where the person feels that they are s- sidestepped of course, because yes. it, they weren't the person that was picked. And it simply does not exist within the family relationship, the married relationship, the becoming parents relationship, where they should give real thought to how left out she might feel if she's not picked. Whereas the mother of the baby is thinking... My sister is going to be a great godmother for this baby. And he says, well, his friend will be a great godfather because he's not going to have two yeah, godfathers. So there was no malice in it. None no, at no, all. None, none at all. But I do understand her upset. And I think she's a little bit feeling alone because she no longer has 100% of him. But she never had 100% of him because, like, brothers were for beating up of as course. well. But did, didn't we have a similar um, story with bridesmaids yeah, a few oh, yeah. months ago, didn't yeah. we? Where, yeah. you know... 
again, somebody felt left out because they weren't chosen as... The chief bridesmaid, and oh my God. Know. You know, when I think about weddings and stuff like that, it's yeah. just, anyway. A listener says, uh, with regards to the stalking, that man is being stalked. It doesn't matter whether it's male or female. Women can be just as dangerous as men. <laughs> I have a funny feeling this is somebody with a history. Anyway, goes on to say, he uh, doesn't give he her his number, and she's harassing him daily. Good advice for him would be to contact the guardie before this becomes sinister. Is that a bit heavy? No, I think the, the, the suggestion that, if, first of all, you can't undo the fact that he didn't, that he accepted her friendship request. He, he shouldn't have, in my view, if he knew that there's nothing in this. But he did tell her yes. that there wasn't a relationship. Um, so this chap is right in terms of that it's it's quite stalkery, if mm. you like, but he should block her. And if he continues to see her, they should leave wherever they are if she's going to be there. But if she follows, then, you know, yes. he, he might have to, you know, she might have become obsessed with him. I mean, the chap has a valid point. Mm, yeah, somebody else saying um, they have the same interests, they go to the same places, for God's sake. I text uh, the same people every day and that's it. I don't think any of them consider me a stalker. I consider it to be a form of human contact, so, yeah. Yeah, but you can interpret it. <clears throat> the letter the letter came from him and he was informed by watching a programme about stalking. Yes. And so then he attributed all the meetings, which might have been happening anyway before they met for the night out when he had drink taken and she had drink taken. They had a great night and he bought her a coffee and then he sent her home in a taxi, which was very gentlemanly. But now he doesn't want to be seen her everywhere he went. But he did accept her friend request and he did tell her, look, I don't see this relationship going any further. Right. So, you know, it's... It's, you're between a rock and a hard place, aren't Some, you? Somebody says, I hope your man hasn't a pet bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a pot. <laughs> Phil, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. If you have a problem that you'd like Phil to have a look at, uh, just uh, it's Dear Phil in the subject line and it's to Tip FM. Uh, it's not. It's Tip Today at tipfm.com. Phil, thanks very much indeed. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back. It's time for this. The Conspiracy Files on Tip Today. And Ali is with me and she has yet another conspiracy file under her oxter. How are you doing, Ali? Hi, Fran. Good morning. This is one I, I didn't know anything at all about this. Yeah, he's a fascinating figure. Yes, Edgar Casey. Uh, he's known as the sleeping psychic. Now, we've all heard of Nostradamus, of course, and the predictions he made, but not many people have heard about the sleeping psychic. And I wonder why, because Edgar Casey. And his predictions were actually a lot more precise than Nostradamus. And he gave an awful lot more readings than Nostradamus was. I don't hold much weight in Nostradamus anyway. But Edgar Casey, to me, was someone who's very, very interesting. Yeah, the Nostradamus stuff is very abstract. And very you could abstract. read several 
different things into exactly it, you? and you know? it doesn't really predict anything I mean you look back at it after an event and say oh that kind of fits yeah. so truly he didn't really predict anything but he, he was more real about he it, was he? more real and how it started with Edgar Casey, the sleeping psychic is very interesting so just to give you some background to him he was born on March 18th of 1877 in Christian County in Kentucky in the US his parents Carrie Elizabeth and Leslie Burr Casey were farmers so very ordinary folk the parents of six children very religious though very religious family Casey was brought to church at the age of 10 and became absolutely obsessed with the Bible so over the course of about two years he read it from cover to cover over a dozen times now in May of 1889 Edgar Casey's stated or claimed that while reading the Bible in his hut in the woods, he encountered a woman with wings who told him that his prayers had been answered. Now, this woman asked what he wanted most of all in his life, and he told the woman that what he wanted to do was to help others, especially children. So Casey said following this encounter, the next night, he had a complaint for his teacher because poor Edgar wasn't doing that well in school. He wasn't the cleverest. Uh, he just wasn't able to retain information. And he found it very stressful because his father was very strict on him in terms of education and would every night would test him on every single subject. So wow. really stressed him out. On this particular night, he was testing Edgar on spelling. Edgar got every one of them wrong. Um, his father beat him mercilessly, knocked him off a chair, even knocking him unconscious at the time, and told Edgar, threw him into his room with his book and said the next time he went into that room, Edgar was to know every spelling in the book or he'd get beaten again. So Edgar, I think going by the story, Edgar was probably a little concussed from this assault. So went into his room, attempted to study but couldn't and fell asleep on the book. So what happened then when Edgar woke up he found that he knew all of the answers to the questions in the book. Not only that, but he had a photographic memory of everything in the book. So he was able to recite all of the information from every page in it. So his father returned to the room, woke him up. Edgar then, by then, had known all the answers, repeated absolutely everything in the book. So his father then thought that he'd been fooling him the whole time that Edgar had always been clever and beat him up again then for lying Good to him. God. Poor Edgar. But um, Casey then said that's how he studied his books from then, was he would fall asleep on them. And by doing that, he was able to retain all of the information within the book, even down to being able to draw out uh, pictures in the book or um, diagrams in the book. He was able to do that. He had a full recognition of it and, and full memory of it. So because of this, by 1892, he'd become the best student in his class. And he told his teacher that he saw pictures of the pages in the books. His father by now had stopped beating him and was very proud of him. and was spreading the news all around town that Edgar was this amazing child who could retain any information from a book simply by sleeping on it. So he became a bit of a, a novelty, I suppose, around town. But this developed further because during a school ball game a couple of years later, Casey was struck in the coccyx. So, you know, the lower back can be very, very painful. Yes, it's if a it's tailbone, struck. is it? That's right, yeah. yeah. And he began to act strangely from it. Now, he said that when he was asleep, he diagnosed his ailment and recommended a cure. And how that happened was he was talking in his sleep over and over again, saying the same things over and over. His mother came in, thought, this is very strange. So she started writing down everything that he was saying. And when he woke up, he realised that what it was, 
was a diagnosis of what was wrong with him and instructions as to how to cure it. So they followed these instructions and it worked. He was cured. So Casey's reported ability then to diagnose in his sleep, it went after that. It didn't return for several years. But when it did, he decided that he was going to use it to help other people. So there was a pivotal incident in Casey's life and it involved his wife, Gertrude. So when he was an adult then and he got married to Gertrude, he still had the ability, but not as much as as when he was injured himself. But after their second son, Milton, was born in March of 1911, poor Milton sadly died a few weeks later and Gertrude fell very ill with what we would probably call now postnatal depression and grief. She also developed TB. Doctors didn't have much hope for her and gave her just weeks to live. So she begged Casey for a reading, which he was reluctant to do, but he did. And he was able to identify that a lot of her physical ailments were as a result of her emotional trauma. And from that, he was able to devise a treatment plan for her. So Gertrude followed that plan under his guidance and she fully recovered. So that was when he decided to use his powers for a wider audience. Now, Edgar Evans Casey is a son of Casey. He spoke a number of years ago of how his father conducted his readings. It wasn't anything weird, as a lot of people would think. Dad would simply lie down on a couch or bed. He had a couch in his office. If he had a tie on, he would loosen his tie and just cross his hands over his stomach and just lay back and relax. When Edgar's eyelids began to flutter, the conductor, Edgar's father, and Gertrude in later years would know Edgar was in trance. The suggestion was then given, the name of the person and where they would be at the time of the reading. Now the person could be in the room or he could be in another state or another city, it didn't matter. I remember one time he had a reading on a man who was supposed to be at an apartment in New York. Dad lay there a minute and says, we do not have the body. He said, he's not here. He said, he's on a bus coming across town. He said, there's a traffic, there was a traffic accident. The bus is late. He said, he'll be here in a minute. We'll wait. And all of a sudden, he said, he's come in now. A call to the man in New York later verified everything Casey had said. Now, there's a beautiful piece of clairvoyance, of something that somebody couldn't have anticipated that would seems to me point to the accuracy of his reading. That's remarkable. Yeah. That, that's his son speaking That's his there. son speaking yeah, a number of years ago. Wow. So it also plays into um, placements as well. I can't remember the term that they use, but the FBI and the CIA actually investigated that uh, during the 50s and 60s, um, whether someone could travel somewhere um, mentally. Yes. Um, I can't remember the, the word for it, but there is a word for it. But Edgar Casey was able to do that before that was actually a thing, but it was later investigated. Right. Is that like astral? And conducted. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Astral, astral planing, visitation or planing. Yeah, planing. yeah. Like that. So he was able to do that before it actually was a thing. So Edgar then continued with his readings. He'd meet patients. He'd diagnose illness. He'd give the recipe for a cure or a treatment plan. Did it all for free as well. But what began to frustrate Casey was that many people weren't serious about following up and in terms of their treatment plan and their care. So what Casey wanted to do then was set up his own hospital and oversee the patients from start to finish. That hospital became his absolute life's obsession. And that desire was especially strong after the war. So Harmon H. Bro wrote a biography of Casey and he says that that's what drove him to continue his treatment. At the end of World War I, this was kicked him into the whole hospital venture. He discovered that his readings could 
outlined treatments for shell shock veterans and nobody else knew what to do with them. There were a lot of them. And those who followed his instructions got better. Oh, was he taken advantage of? He was, unfortunately, yeah. and you, you'd see that in a lot of these cases. Also by his father. He fell out with his father uh, just after he got married, after the birth of their third child. He found out that his father would um, take money from people who would come in and ask him about stocks and where they should invest money. <coughs> now, I have to say, Edgar... When he was um, giving his readings, he never knew, like, he was out. He didn't know what he was saying, so he wasn't aware of what was going on oh, during the readings. Okay. So he was never aware. So his father would bring in people who would ask him questions about the stock exchange and where they should invest money. There was one time even Edgar woke up from a trance to find that blood was being taken from him. So his father had allowed doctors to give him money so they could test his blood to see if he was under the influence of drugs. So he fell out with his father then after that, never spoke to him again and was very careful about who he trusted because there were a lot of people. There were even sometimes people would say, I need you to do a reading with my child. My child is very sick. But then it, uh, it would transpire that the child wasn't sick at all, that they had kind of tried to get information other, other on motives. him. And, and yeah. was he accurate about the stock exchange, for example? Was he was. He that predict- was one of his biggest predictions. He predicted the stock exchange crash in 1929. Um, a lot of people said he was wrong about that. He was very sure it was going to happen, and it did end up happening as well. Uh, he came to prominence, I suppose, in 1943 after the publication of Miracle Man of Virginia Beach that was published in the Coronet magazine. Um, he gave um, an interview with a journalist saying that he was concerned about the treatment of American soldiers coming back from war. And as a result of that, then, he was getting requests from families who were looking for help in finding loved ones who are missing in action. So he increased the number of readings to eight per day in an attempt to reduce the backlog of requests that he was getting because he didn't want to turn anyone away. But this affected his health hugely. It was emotionally draining and very fatiguing. Uh, The readings themselves, so when he was under, um, he would say to himself, you're doing too much and you need to limit your workload maybe to two readings a day or it will kill you. So this is what the readings were telling him himself. So this is a prediction about himself. About himself. So just to give you a, a measure of how many readings he was doing, from June 1943 to June 1944, so one year, he did 1,385 readings. Good God. And by August of 1944, then, he had collapsed under the strain of it. When he took then a reading on his own situation, he was instructed to rest until he was well or until he was dead. So he and Gertrude then, Gertrude brought him off to the Virginia mountains. He had a stroke in September, died on January 3rd of 1945, age 67. And in fact predicted his own death because three days before his death he had a reading and said he would be buried in four days. And his prediction was correct. So what did he predict? Well, as I said, he predicted the the crash, the stock market crash of 1929. He also predicted uh, World War II. Uh, He predicted the possibility of the Second World War in Europe. He warned it would begin around 1936 to 1939. Uh, It actually began in September of 1939, just as he foretold. In relation to the stock market crash and the Great Depression, he warned that years of confusion economically in the country, the stock market took a nosedive in 1929, which, of course, resulted in the onset of the Great Depression. So in terms of future events for us, He also, what he predicted is quite scary for us. So he predicted that life would alter, life as we know it would dramatically alter 
One of the most frightening predictions he made was the possibility of an alien invasion in 2024. Go on. 2024, he said that extraterrestrials from the Aldebaran solar system located in the constellation of Taurus will arrive on Earth in 2024. He warned that if humanity's collective consciousness is not elevated to a higher spiritual plane, then these aliens may pose a threat. He also predicts that America and other Western countries will no longer retain their status as world leaders and superpowers. He suggests that by the end of this year, all of that power will shift to the east. And a lot of that is looking it plausible. Is. And what's very worrying is a lot of his future predictions actually happened this year in 2024. Um, so it seems to be a pivotal year. What we also have to look forward to this year, here's the big one. So he's predicting that the magnetic poles will shift this year, which will cause confusion economically in every country in the world. He says that changes in the Gulf Stream will melt the polar ice caps, raise sea levels and alter weather patterns across the globe. You could argue that's already happening. But it's his predictions then on what will happen with these pole shifts. They're terrifying. Here, listen to this. In 1936, Edgar Cayce predicted that the world would undergo a pole shift between 16 and 20 degrees. And this would happen when both Mount Etna in Italy and Mount Pelée in Martinique erupt together. And when that happens, we'll have 90 days to evacuate the coastline. Mount Etna just erupted a few months ago, and scientists at Mount Pelée said that the seismic activity there is above baseline. Now, if the poles do shift, as Edgar Cayce predicts, the world map is going to look very different. Africa will be divided into three parts. The Nile will widen and a brand new waterway will split the continent. As the Red Sea grows, Cairo will eventually disappear into the sea. Asia is already very seismic and will suffer the most dramatic changes. Land will be covered from the Philippines to Japan by the ocean. As the Pacific plate shifts, the islands of Japan will sink, leaving only a few small islands. Taiwan and most of Korea will be completely lost to the sea. The entire coast of China will be pushed inland hundreds of miles. The population of India will be told not to seek higher ground within the interior of the country due to buckling of the land. Instead, they'll have to head to the Himalayas. The high mountains of Tibet and Nepal will provide refuge. Antarctica will no longer be covered in ice, but will once again become fertile and green. Australia will lose nearly 25% of its land due to coastal flooding. The Adelaide area will become a new sea. The Simpson and Gibson deserts will become fertile farming land. New Zealand will actually grow in size and will once again connect to mainland Australia. And New Zealand will ultimately become one of the safest areas in the new world. Lucky Kiwis. Europe will suffer. Most of Northern Europe will simply be gone, sunk into the sea as the tectonic plate underneath it collapses. Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark disappear, eventually becoming hundreds of small islands. Most of the UK, from Scotland to the English Channel, will disappear into the ocean, but several small islands will remain. London and Birmingham will actually survive, but not as cities, as islands. Ireland will disappear completely except for land at high elevation. Russia will be separated from Europe by an entirely new sea when the Caspian, Black, Kara, and Baltic seas combine. The new sea will stretch all the way to Siberia. Russia's climate will remain intact, leaving Russia to supply most of Europe's food. In Canada, most of the coastline will be pushed in by 200 miles. Regions in Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and areas of Alberta will become the refugee survival center of Canada. As the North American plate buckles, the new islands of California will be created with almost 150 separate islands. 
The West Coast will recede east toward Nebraska, Wyoming, and Colorado. The Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence will join and continue from the Mississippi River all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. All coastal areas from Maine to Florida will be taken over by water and pushed inland for miles. Most of the coastal areas of Mexico will be flooded. The California Baja Coast will ultimately become a series of islands. Billions of people will be displaced by this cataclysm. Billions more will be killed. You've cheered us up. You've cheered us up considerably. I'm heading for Galtimore. Moore. I tell you, we'll all be heading for Galtimore Moore that day. But he was very specific on what exactly was going to happen. He also had some very interesting ideas. He said that we, we've reinterpreted the history of life on Earth wrong as well. And a lot of what we're hearing now as well, if you listen to like Ancient Aliens is a good show and Ancient Mapping yeah. and things like that, where they say um, what we've been taught about the history of Earth isn't actually real at all. Because there have been other civilizations, is that it? Like every civilization has talked about a major um, cataclysm Event, that's happened, yes. normally a flood, and that has destroyed any evidence of, of a higher culture. Like Atlantis, a lot of people would have said were very intelligent. He truly believed in Atlantis. He even uh, predicted that it would be found in 1978. A lot of people might say it hasn't. But if you look into it, there was an area in Bimini, which is just off the Bahamas, which was discovered underwater when they were doing underwater works. It's a three kilometre stretch of what looks like a road. And on each side of the road, it's lined with pillars. Um, but we're told that that was a natural occurrence. And not to look into please it. Please tell me that he's been wrong. He has been wrong, to be fair. Now, right. he did predict that North America would experience existential chaos during the 30s, that Los Angeles, South San Francisco would be destroyed before New York. He predicted the second coming of Christ in 1998. Um, now, sceptics and science writers were also very damning of him and his psychic abilities and his quackery, as they called it, um, because of his promotion of pseudoscientific dieting and homeopathic remedies. But you can say we do buy into that a lot now. Mm. We do. He was the first person to say there's a connection between the body and mind and you have to treat both if you want to cure one of them or both of them. So we, we certainly buy into that now. Um, there is much more acceptance of that now. In fact, there's a, an organisation that was set up. It's ARE. It's a group uh, that go by and follow the teachings and practices of Edgar Casey. They have their own clinics and hospitals as well in America, which bring in that, the tie between the physical, the mental, the, the body and the spirit. So it is something that is uh, replicated now and, and still followed through. So he did get his dream of a hospital in the end. That was all he wanted. Uh, but whether or not you believe him, he, I think like every every person who'll predict things that will happen in the future, you're going to get it right some of the time. You're not always going to, you know, get it right. Some things are going to be wrong. It's fascinating. I, I guess there's a lot more as well. So it's Edgar Casey, but Edgar it's spelt, it's spelt uh, C-A-Y-C-E, isn't it? If people just want to look that up. That's right. And he'd be it. the sleeping psychic is what he's known as. But it's absolutely fascinating, his story. <laughs> Oh, go on, go one of our listeners says, don't tell us any more. But by the way, did he say anything about Limerick's five in a row? <laughs> I don't think that came up. <laughs> I think that's from Johnny Luby, actually, which is very good. All right. Thanks very much, Johnny. Thank you for, for that, um, for cheering us all up today. We'll be back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. 
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 